Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Attention, attention. The show begins in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. This is an honorable mention with Jeff Schwartz and Shane Hagedorn. Part of the Creative Control Network of Podcasts. Two for Tuesday, and welcome to another chapter of an honorable mention. The Essential Ring of Honor Retrospective Podcast, covering the most successful independent wrestling promotion of this generation. I am your host, Jeff Schwartz, and alongside is my co-host, our expert analyst, student 
of the man in our main event today, Ring of Honor alumni, Shane Hagedorn. Shane, what's going on today? Wasn't sure of what you were gonna say. Student of the game, student of life. So uh, yes, yes, yes. I will take gladly take the student of CM Punk as my my label for this afternoon. I think he would claim you too. He has claimed me. He he claimed me and um, Davy Andrews once very publicly. So uh, I'll talk about that a little later. Yeah, we need we need Davy Andrews to to be found. I know. I, uh, I, I, I don't think that uh, Stars Moore has had any further luck beyond no. um, beyond some contact with Davy's brother-in-law. Yeah, Dave, Evan Starsmore has tried, um, but we 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 haven't given up the hope yet. Nope. It's not nope. O- it's not over until we decide it is. It wasn't over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor, and it's not over now. Wow. Animal House. Thank you for that reference. Yep. Yeah, the greatest movie of all time. Um, but that's that's enough talk about the great John Belushi and all the rest of the wonderful cast of Animal House, my favorite movie of all time and the greatest movie of all time. Uh, do want to plug our social media. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, our Twitter and Instagram, which are, of course, at an honorable pod. Uh, that's at an honorable pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. You can search for me on Facebook. Uh, I am at the Jeff Schwartz partner. Where can we find you? I just decided I'm going to cancel all my social media and just never do it again. Okay. That's not that's not true. I'm at Hagedorn Shane on Twitter and on Instagram. Shane Hagedorn on Facebook. Shane Hagedorn on the Ube of Two. Two of Ube. Ube of Tube. Yeah, that works. Well, and uh, you can go over to uh, our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash an honorable pod. Give us a like if you haven't already. If you're new to the show, um, there's a lot of really cool videos available over at an honorable mentions YouTube page. So go over and search that. Uh, We're going to be dropping some really cool videos this week, uh, including a video from our scientist of sound, Zach Johnson, uh, in regards to the show we're going to talk about today. Uh, Punk the final chapter. We'll talk, he's going to talk about his love of CM Punk and um, tell a fun story about the first time I met Zach and uh, the fact that he had some uh, cosplay action going on um, before Ooh. the word cosplay even existed in regards to one CM Punk. Ooh, can't wait to hear this. Yeah, it's an an interesting story, Uh, one that I I brought up to him a couple of days ago, and uh, we'll we'll have that video up for you uh, probably by the the time this show drops. Uh, We are taping this a little bit early, and um, we are, of course, uh, dropping some videos on our YouTube channel from uh, several of Punk's uh, kids. and, and people from the class after. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I've got a little bit of uh, the, the video I dropped at the end of last week after Wrath of the Racket with uh, with Bobby Dempsey and Smash Bradley talking about training under punk and some of the other stories of other tryouts that came after, including the, um, uh, the Tyler Black, Seth Rollins hot dog story. And 
at, towards the end of this week, I've got a little bit of Bobby and Smash reflecting on this show. Um, this one is also not exactly uh, family-friendly viewing because Bobby Dempsey's got a foul mouth, which may come as a surprise to many. And uh, and um, yesterday or today, depending, we'll see. I also have a video of um, one Alex Payne reflecting on this show, which he was in attendance as a fan. And his thoughts on how uh, CM Punk affected him and his uh, going forward, you know, eventually to uh, to train at the Ring of Honor School. Interesting. Well, we look forward to sharing those with all of you. We are, of course, brought to you by the Creative Control Network, so be sure to follow the head of the Creative Control Network, Mr. Joe Feeney, on Twitter, at J-double-F-ha-ha-double-e-ha-ha-n-e-y-three-r-d, and at the CC Network 1 on Twitter for all the latest news and notes. Uh, of course, the aforementioned scientist of sound, Zach Johnson, hit him up on Twitter, at Radio ZT. He delivers us the best intro and outro in podcasting today, every week, and he makes sure we sound cooler than the other side of the pillow. This show you're listening to now is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Music Play Store, Amazon Echo, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and HipCast. But, Shane, before we get into the show, we've got to pay some bills, and we want to talk about something very important. Banyan Treatment Center. If you know someone struggling with drug or alcohol addiction, or you're struggling yourself, your private insurance provider may be able to help. Banyan Treatment Centers offers top-notch facilities and care at locations across the country. Give them a call today to learn more. 1-800-508-0119. That's 1-800-508-0119. Well, let's dive into it. I think it's worthy of an honorable mention. It's August 13th, 2005, and we are in Chicago Ridge, Illinois, at the Frontier Fieldhouse for Punk, the final chapter. Um, Before we really get into the show and the matches itself, we are, of course, uh, gifted with with the voices of Dave Prezak and Lenny Leonard on commentary. But what was the what was the feel the feeling going into today for you personally? Uh, happy, sad, <laughs> you know. I'm uh, very very happy for for Punk's um, successes, and you know, sad to say goodbye. Um, it was uh, bitter sweet. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, but um, it did. But it was also that you know, there was there was family there and friends. Like I, I met, you know, parents and I, I met friends that I never had a chance to meet before. Um, of of punks, and that would you know. So it was um, man, it was just uh, it had a vibe. It had a feeling that whole that whole day. So it was um. I mean, yes, it was absolutely spent and exhausted coming out of Dayton to from the night before, but no, it was still like, wow, like this is this is it, this is this is actually it. 
this this is really it, not just um not not the the fake out it we had in June. Yeah, I mean there was there was a whole summer of of build to this one night, and you know we're gonna do a summer of punk episode at some point. I don't know when, but. I definitely want to talk about that whole summer because I think I was at every show during the summer punk. Maybe the Philly one was the exception um, with Daniels and him because I, I kind of got the Iggy that that was going sixty, so I said ah, I'll stay home. Um, <laughs> you you dipped out on that one. Uh, yeah, I said uh, hard pass on that sixty minute draw in the middle of July or late <laughs> June, whatever it was. July um, July twenty third. Yeah, so I'm I, I'm almost positive I I skipped that one. But this uh this show in particular, um, I remember getting to the building, uh, with my crew probably hour and a half before the show. We of course you know went to Rosa's and um, I probably walked in you know right before the dark matches started. I just I was so tired from the night before that, because um, that drive from Dayton to Chicago is exhausting. Yeah, it is. And the drive back from Chicago to Canton is even more exhausting. So it just it was just a, a level of exhaustion, but it was so emotionally draining of a night that. And this is the first time I think I have um, I, I've talked about it. Um, I, I think this may have been the first wrestling show I ever cried at. Oh, de- definitely for me, <laughs> most definitely. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure this was the first show I cried, like the hard cry. Yeah. Um. Because Punk was somebody I identified with. Somebody I had, you know, not necessarily gotten to know, but somebody I had been around enough and to see somebody getting the chance to go onward and be given such a respectful and classy exit, as we'll talk about later. It was just so overwhelming that from a a fan's perspective, you're... your peers all value you like this and your 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 fans admire you so much like this I, I it just it really hit home with me and here i thought you were going to say that you got emotional because it was also matt hardy's last match in ring of honor for quite some time i was emotional in a different way for that oh. um I, I was uh, thrilled, but uh, <laughs> that's that's not that's beside the point. Um, of course, before the show began, we did have three dark matches, which was interesting. Um, we had Smash Bradley and Bobby Dempsey, who coincidentally were in the YouTube video together, uh, and we had Shane Hagedorn and Brad Bradley. Uh, did he stay awake the entire match? Yes, but that was the match that I think I've mentioned a few times. That was the um, um, uh, uh, they want they really want to see my chops. So you know, I got to work on my chops. They really want me to see me see me do my chops, uh, referencing um, 
Mr. Anuki. I think he even said, Mr. Anuki wants to see my chops, or Mr. But yeah, I think that's what it was. I think for Baba or whatever. Now I'm drawing a blank on which one it was that he said, but yeah. Well, Baba was dead at this point. Yeah, so so. it was Mr. Mr. Anoki really wants to see my chops. They, they, you know, he really, really wants to see my chops. So I I have to work on my chops. That that'll be interesting. And then proceeded uh, to throw fart and church chops that just sucked. Well, he was tired. He was he was sleepy. Well, there's there's a whole like all right. So this was the third uh, third pre-show. All right. But the first one was at the homecoming, which was the debut of the second class: Bobby and Derek Dempsey, Smash Bradley, Antonio Blanca, Pelly Primo. And so we finally, you know, it was more than just me and Davey traveling to all the shows and with the occasional appearances from, you know, whoever may have been in the area, like uh, Matt Turner or Anthony Franco or whatever. Um, At this point, Starsmore had already moved to Florida. And, you know, so me and Davey on one of our drives literally put together shows worth of of pre-show matches uh, because we knew by this point Gabe had already kind of like (sighs) talked to us about the idea of doing like the top of the class trophy and um, so we kind of structured like an idea of a a form of why these pre-show matches would exist and how they would be done and you know, building up people to actually challenge for the trophy based on wins and losses and kind of borrowing from, I guess, the most familiar thing would be Chikara's point system they use for their, their tag titles. And it was shot to shit on weekend number three, or weekend number two, pre-show number three, when... Uh, Gabe pulled Pelly from the exist the match that we had. I was supposed to be P- Pelly versus me because the night before in Dayton it was me and Davey against Pelly and Antonio Blanca. So we had it, you know, and, and so or no, Pelly was going to wrestle Davey here because he had wrestled Antonio Blanca in uh, Blanca's first match at Homecoming, and I was going to wrestle and I was going to wrestle Ant. And so when Gabe pulled Pelly. From the from having a match, so he could do his five second spot in the Collier and A Steel match that we'll talk about. Immediately, we're like, "Yep, why do we even bother doing this? Because it literally can just change at the at a fucking whim." I mean, that's his right; it's his show; it's his Booker. But we didn't understand the logic of pulling Pelly out of an entire match for a five second spot that he was involved in. No, it didn't make any sense. No, so it immediately, you know, yeah, I'm pretty sure number three shot the shit the entire idea we had because we immediately realized that it can all it's all going to change depending on what Gabe needs somebody to do. So we just kind of, <laughs> well, threw that piece of paper away. And it wasn't even a piece of paper. It was like a little notebook of, of logically constructed matches and kind of like a, a story to the pre-show itself um, that, yeah, just ended up going. <laughs> and that was the story of the pre-show in Chicago as well as the match that never happened. And they say this in quotes between Bobby and Smash. Now the fun part is, if my if if we can get this fucking ISO video to work properly, 
Um, we will be uploading these three pre-show matches to our YouTube page. They may already be up by the time we're having this. By the time this is airing, if we can get this shit to work right, yeah, we're, we're having some problems getting the video to convert. Technical difficulties. We we may be out there looking for a technical guru, like a Skype video expert and a DVD ripper expert. So if you're out there and you're interested in helping us out, uh, hit up at an honorable mention. Hit up our DMs. They're open. Uh, an honorable pod, I guess, on Twitter. Um, DMs are open. We're looking for some Skype video assistance, uh, possibly for a future project in the works. Um, but we do want to uh, also mention Davey, Davey Andrews and Antonio Blanca was the third pre-show match. And um, that would lead us into our opening contest. And uh, that would feature a four-corner survival. And it's Alex Shelley alongside Prince Nana in his embassy phase, taking on Nigel McGuinness, Delirious, and Matt Seidel with Daisy Hayes, which is an interesting uh, mix. Um, considering the day, be- the day before is the famous day that I pulled up to the fairgrounds, and Daisy, Matt, and Delirious pulled out, uh, pulled into the parking lot at the same time. And the doors opened, and a cloud of green smoke arose from the car. It was Rob Van Dam in the car, because that's what it looked like when he pulled up at WrestleMania weekend in Detroit. Uh, Very possible. Very possible. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty solid mix. You know, you you had a nice eclectic mix of talents that weren't, you know overlapping you weren't getting two two three guys that did the same shit you know it had a nice 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 mix of characters and uh, and you had the the flying guy and Seidel and the, the, the you know the the delirious I'm not even sure what to call it just the, the, the wild card you know and and Nigel and yeah it was um and it was it was very solid and then you've of course got the um the embassy factor or the gen next factor on the other side of the Seidel. Yeah. And you know what? I, I really, uh, I think that it, it's interesting because delirious and Seidel, of course, were married, you know, for many, 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 many moons, uh, one-on-one and they always worked well together. Um, right from the rip Alex Shelley and Nigel, I saw in IWA mid South, um, and then, of course, you know, they had some interactions in Ring of Honor, but they never really had an extended program together. And they were just smooth. Um, very smooth together. And uh, I, I think this four-corner survival is a great example of how deep the roster is at this point. Um, when you look at the fact that Shelley and Seidel are now a part of a feud with Shelley going to the, the heel side of the embassy after he didn't sell out, Remember, he bought in. He bought in. Uh, a line that would be used several times since. Um, so you've got the Gen Next Embassy feud here going on. Uh, and it's really a, a fun match. Uh, Delirious is kind of the star for me of this match. He's running around hitting panic attacks on everybody. And the kind of the backstory is kind of, you know, Matt Seidel and Alex Shelley and their feud. 
um, which would play into the finish. And Nigel, he's just kind of a man on an island here. Um, I, I just, uh, I thought this was a really solid way to open a show. All these guys very familiar with the Midwest uh, because they worked for IWA Mid-South. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, the man behind IWA Mid-South during our, our post-show of the main event. Um, but this was, a, this was the kind of roster depth that we had. Nigel McGuinness would go on to be a main event headliner for Ring of Honor. Matt Seidel would be up the card. Delirious would be up the card. Alex Shelley could be in a main event during this period of time and was a part of the main event when he was part of Generation Next. So, look at the roster depth. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I think also kind of in, in stark contrast to our last show, and the four corner survival that we got in Wrath of the Racket. Um, this is such a stark contrast in how far Ring of Honor has come in in, in its in the the two years. You know? Yeah, I mean almost because, two years to the day. Yeah, because that that this one's not littered with those like standard go-to four-corner survival spots that were very indicative of the early four-corner survival matches, you know, the four-way submission spots or, you know, four-way fucking headlock spot or just, it, I don't know, it just had a better like flow and it, I guess in part because, you know, like, like you said, it had the built-in story of the embassy and the Generation Next thing and the history of Delirious and Seidel as kind of anchors, and then you had Nigel as the as as, as the, the the straight man, I guess is the lack of a better way to put it, because this was just kind of a a placeholder match for him as he was going and he was still wrapped up in the feud with Cabana at this point, you know, heading into what would be the soccer riot match a week later in uh, Night of the Grudges Two. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a very eclectic mixed too you have nobody that's really the same version of themselves and i like that um the finish would come at 10 minutes and 56 seconds matt seidel would take out alex shelley and prince nana uh with a moonsault which would leave nigel to finish off delirious with the tower of london of course we know that's the rope assisted stunner out of the corner and seidel and shelley would continue their brawl after the match um and we would uh, we would get Nigel McGuinness, your winner, to lead off the show. And man, Alex Shelley's got a filthy mouth. 
Yeah, he does. As well. Like, <laughs> every chance he gets, he's telling someone in the crowd to go fuck themselves. Or, <laughs> he's just, uh, it's, it's just, it's quite entertaining to, uh, to listen to him um, jaw jack with the fans because <laughs> it is not uh, TV 13 or whatever. It is, it is certainly a little more TV MMA if, uh, if Ring of Honor had ratings. Yeah, and you know what? That's just an under underrated side. We talked about Alex Shelley's retirement last week, and I really think one of the most underrated uh, parts of his complete package as a wrestler is that he is able to verbalize um, externally without stammering over you know, an insult. Like, it's not just a generic yelling at a, you know, you sit down fat boy like Ric Flair. It's it's specific stuff to specific people in the crowd at specific times with the right timing. And I just think Shelly was so brilliant. Yeah, like, to the, I, almost to the point that I think his, his verbal banter probably even uh, overshadowed his uh, his management Yes, and that's not a knock on Prince Nana whatsoever. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, not I, I think uh, moving on to um, our second match of the night, um, this one went a lot different than you could have expected going in. And... <laughs> I know there's yeah. the, the famous story of Bob Holly suggesting um, to the WWE creative that you just give him, give him the belt and he'll beat everybody. Well, the original man to do that is the man that's in this match, and that man is Mr. Chad Collier. <laughs> but at least Collier's was in that pro- promo saying, just give me the belt. Just, just, just hand me over just the, give belt. Me the belt. Just give me the belt. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, that's not the most infamous Chad Collier promo. No, it's not, but it definitely is the second <laughs> See, most infamous. The other one never saw the light of day and never will, and uh, just avoid talking about it. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to publicly out that one, but oh no, my. No, but hopefully anybody who may be listening to this that knows what we're talking about, it puts a little smile on your face, like, I can't believe he said that. <sighs> oh, boy. But this uh, this is Ace Steel, who's uh, in for a big night himself, uh, and a bloody night for that matter. Um, but Ace Steel and Chad Collier here, they uh, had a couple of matches before this. Um, Steel would make fun of Chad Collier's mohawk early on, and Collier would play up that the ladies loved the mohawk. Um, he would walk the ropes, which was a standard spot he would use to break up a full Nelson. Um, you know, uh, there's even a, a, a stomach claw that would come into play during this match. This is just, it's its not supposed to be a comedy match, but it turns into one, and then it immediately stops. There's, there's something like, I don't know, inherently funny or goofy about Chad Collier. And it's Ace like, Steel. And, and well, Ace is completely, but Collier, like, Collier isn't like it's not supposed I, I, but there's just something about the way he carries himself and his mannerisms and things he says that just 
come off very comedic, and he, it's. I'll, um, I'll give you a hot take. He's Matt Stryker with charisma. Well, I was gonna like, uh, kind of equate them to each other. Uh, you know, they, they they kind of came from that same that same mold as far as their their purpose in Ring of Honor. Matt Stryker, Chad Collier, John Walters, Josh Daniels, like that group of guys who were really solid wrestlers, but didn't show a whole hell of a lot a whole hell of a lot of personality um or at least inconsistently but there was just something about collier that he had this like somewhat goofy like vibe to him that i I think kind of set him just a little bit above the other guys uh on top of like he could fucking go he was a very solid solid wrestler yeah, he he had the unique ability. It just never really clicked in Ring of Honor, I don't think. And unfortunately, until he became the Metal Master. That's yeah. when it clicked. That's when it clicked. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, but this uh, this match itself uh, actually involves a friend of show, one Pelly Primo. In a, a interesting fashion, um, as Shane talked about earlier, uh, Pelly was uh, erased from the dark matches um, early in the show, and uh, what would happen would be uh, Collier would knock Ace to the floor. Ace would avoid a tope, and then would absolutely uh, light up Chad Collier with some chops that he dedicated to the fans, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Ace would accidentally knock out a security guard, which, if you've ever met Pelle Primo, the very last thing in in your life you would think of him as is a security guard, um, considering he's built like me, um, and I'm certainly not fit for a security guard duty. Um, (laughs) My favorite part of the spot is that it's really fucking nonsensical. Like, Pelle's standing directly behind him, just close enough to get hit with the... It's not like there's an accidental, say, Irish whip that Pelly, you know, didn't get out of the corner chair fast enough to, like, to, to take. It was just... He got hit by an errant elbow that he was just, for some reason, standing close enough to the action for no fucking reason to catch an elbow. And what, it was a planned plan spot, right? The elbow looked... No, it's all a shoot, brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was... We're kayfabing on a podcast here. Come on! <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do, right? Just no, no. Kayfabe is dead. I buried it with the shovel. Learning the wrong lessons from all the other podcasts I listen to. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But fuck yeah, that elbow looked nasty, and Pelly took it like a fucking champ. Yep. Yeah, he did. Um, But Chad would use this opportunity to sneak up and hit Ace with a chair, and my God, the blood. I mean, and, and it was with those pl- the, uh, plastic chairs. Plastic chairs fucking suck. Like, thank God this has never happened to me in the few times I got hit with a chair. Plastic chairs suck because they break. They're a hell of a lot more dangerous than a metal chair, in my opinion, especially if you're taking a headshot. Yes. Like they will, they can break and splinter and crack, and they will cut you that way, <laughs> as opposed to a metal folding chair, which just makes nice noises and hurts. You know, they, there's a lot more danger in in the plastic chair swinging to the head than there is a metal chair. 
It's just a brutal, brutal chair shot. And now what we know about shots to the head, even with a plastic chair, I mean, it's just the volume behind that shot from Chad Collier was was the sign of, hey, I'm trying to get up the card. Look, look at me. I could swing a chair pretty well. And uh, he would, of course, roll an unconscious eight steel into the ring. Uh, this would lead to the Texas Cloverleaf. Uh, and oh, you, you, you left out an important detail there, kid. Uh, that ace is absolutely fucking gushing. No, I, I mentioned that, that he's gushing. No, no, no. Like, oh my god. Like, ah, he's bleeding. He's no. leaking. He's leaking. He Paul Turner picks up his head and drops it. And it just splats. And you literally watch blood just splat up in the air. It's like a fucking swimming pool of blood. That comes after the Texas Cloverleaf is locked up, Still, locked on. It's like fuck. So, so, so as I was gonna say, like that. It, apparently, it was a blade job. And that's a safe assumption, yeah, because you know he pulled Ace out from underneath the ring to roll him in. So. Yeah. So I mean, regardless, like the, uh, Paul Turner would pick up Ace's head to check on him, and. It's just, I mean, a disgusting pool of blood. Uh, and Paul would call for the bell at 10 minutes, 29 seconds. Uh, Ace Steel was, I don't know, 68. I think, I think, I just, it was weird. Like, Paul, I guess, they you know, that first time he picked up his head and watched the blood splatter everywhere, he wasn't quite sure if Ace was out yet, so he did it again. Yeah. yeah that, that, that first pickup of, uh, you know, of just... What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Fuck! Like ah, I'd forgotten how bad of a gusher it was. That's why oh, it was it was I inst- brutal. I Instagram rewind storied it just so I could just plop 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 plop. It, it's fuck. It's one of the like. So I understand that like blade jobs and stuff. That's part of the business, and you know that's just something you got to do. But when it's this deep and you're you're dripping out like that how many advil did he take beforehand okay fine, i know like well uh, tylenol because uh, ibuprofen's not really the blood thinner you know the acetaminophen the acetaminophen's are the blood thinner you know the, the, the tylenols and the aspirins you know the ibuprofen's aren't the blood thinner so uh, or, or 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 alcohol or uh just hitting it hit, hit or hitting it just right and then you get this or Jay Briscoe at our best, or Rhett's one fucking blade job in Cleveland, or yeah. 
yeah, shit like that, or, or Grizz uh, in that HDNet of Toronto, and like the Embassy tag. Like, you know, there's just some like really ah, examples. And then this this was a this is one of the like three or four messiest ones I've seen. Yeah, I completely agree. I, yeah, I would. Yep, yep. I don't know what that Muda scale is or how that works, but I don't know. I think I Scott Keith. I think yeah. that was him. I don't know. That's what, what I think of when I think of the Muda scale. Yeah, whatever the highest highest you can go on it, that was this. Yeah. Um, so if you'd like to be grossed out, check out Ace Steel and Chad Collier from Punk the Final Chapter. <laughs> Not that it was a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. Their feud would have some legs. They'd have another match down the road. But my goodness. Just. Ugh. Yeah. Um, speaking of ugh. Um, Austin Aries would wrestle Jimmy Rave alongside Prince Nana and um, Mr. 5-9 Live uh, would continue uh, leading Generation Next 2.0 I guess at this point uh, taking on the Embassy here and this is a this has actually been a pretty fun match to watch back um, obviously like We've talked about it many times. I think Jimmy Rave's one of the best heels in the history of the company. He and Alex Shelley together as part of the embassy was my favorite incarnation of the embassy. Um, And I thought Aries had a really good match here um, as a babyface, which was never really something I got into. Um, I thought he was a much better heel. Oh, in in infinitely better heel, but yeah, I think in this because he had such a strong heel on the other side in, in Jimmy Rave that he was he really he shone he shined whatever as a babyface here. Um, yeah, it yeah. seemed like anytime Aries would get any momentum, Rave just zapped him and cut him off. Yeah, yeah, and this uh, was this was another feud that had a very lengthy buildup. I mean, I can't remember exactly when. The, the embassy rivalry started off top of my head, but I, this went on until December. Yeah, because uh, the steel cage match was... Fuck basketball ba- city. Thank you. I was waiting for it. Uh, that was in December, uh, early December, and I want to say this started like around like April? Maybe, yeah, it was, like I said, it was very, very early on. April or, or May, maybe? Well, no, because May would have been the end of Punk and Jimmy Rave. So it would have been, like, late May, early June. Mm. But uh, this this match is a perfect example of taking two guys who are polar opposites in how they display emotion and that being a benefit to the match. Um, this this match in particular, every time Aries would get some sort of momentum, Age or a Rave would block it off. Uh, for example, you know, you've got the Prince Nana factor on the outside as well, where he's able to do interference and distract the referee and allow Rave to cut cut him off. Um, the the uh, interesting segment of this match that I, I particularly enjoyed uh, would be when Ares blocked Gonorrhea 
Yes, that was the name of Jimmy Rave's move. Gonorrhea. <laughs> Which, to this day, is still funny to me. And I'm trying not to, like, burst out laughing, saying gonorrhea was his cha, cha, cha. move. Yes. Um, Austin Aries would, would block gonorrhea and hit a power drive elbow. That would lead That's to... the little people's elbow. The little people's elbow. <laughs> Trademark Jimmy Fetterman, I think. Which, but speaking of Jimmy Fetterman, not to, to diverse backwards uh, on the show, but kudos to Jimmy Fetterman for ringside camera work and getting that, that shot of Ace Steel's uh, head leaking of fluids. Um, that was a tremendous job on his part. Um, but uh, the little people's elbow would be followed by the corner drop kick, and Rave would immediately cut that off with the crucifix bomb into a Samoan drop. Aries would come back with a spear. And, you know, this this back and forth, back and forth, but it was always Rave cutting him off and then dominating. And I thought that, that helped draw sympathy for Austin Aries, which is something I don't think anybody on this planet actually has. <laughs> what are the... <laughs> It just never ceases to amaze me. You, 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 and you, and you, you, you and Aries. Um, I'd fight him. <laughs> Book it, Gabe. Um, yeah, the, uh, for real. The, uh, I'll come. You, you get pay for my train, my that, trans, that, that, that and my hotel. A, that alone is a wonderful. I don't know. It dated reference for the yes. two of us. Book it, Gabe. That's right. You, the, um, I, I just want my trans, my hotel, and a hundred percent of my merchandise sales, and uh, five hundred bucks. I'm in. Nice. Um, <laughs> God damn you! I can't even get my train of thought back. Oh, uh, this this match was a it was one of those like great decision to go who went over, and then perfectly executed what happens after the match to you know. Because it's not like Aries wins in some dominating fashion, and then Rave gets his shit back after the end of the match, and it keeps the feud going, going, going. And I think it's it's man, it just the Embassy Gen X thing clicked uh, so well as like a, a stable like faction warfare sort of thing, um, better than anything out of Ring of Honor's actual faction warfare uh, you know, session two years later did. And I think it was just the, the, the strength of personalities and the strength of the in-ring work, um, whether it be in straight-up wrestling matches like this or when Embassy and Gen X would have street fights and you know, cage matches and shit like that. Um, I just I think everybody involved had their chances to shine, and you know, this, this got both personalities over and continued the rivalry. Um, and just, I think... Because you know, I mentioned this because this is you know the the, the, the final chapter for Punk. That uh, Rave's one of those guys who I'm. I think I can confidently say, through his rivalry with Punk, you watched him grow as a personality and as a wrestler. That he learned a lot during that that those months that you know we're not that far removed. That their feud just ended in May. 
you know, three months prior to this in this same building, three months to the day, because I think Nowhere to Run might have been, no, I think Nowhere to Run was like August, it was like June 15th or something like that. So pretty close to three months um, in Chicago. So Rave's not too far removed from that. And I just, I think you, if you take Rave back to like the beginning of 2005, to where he is in August of 2005, there's a, a very strong progression as a wrestler and as a personality. I think a lot of that is a, a testament to his, his, his working with Punk. And I, I think it was him becoming more comfortable in himself. Yeah. You know, just like having somebody to play off of. It's very hard to, to get yourself over as a heel when you have nobody as a babyface to draw sympathy away from you. And Gabe did such a great job matching Jimmy Rave up with the right opponent at the right time. And I, I think in this match in particular, the the key factor here is that Jimmy Rave was given credibility. Every time Aries went for one of his signature moves, the 450 splash, the brain buster, Jimmy would counter it or it wouldn't be successful. And that adds to a, a that adds a layer of credibility to somebody who lost his last major feud. It's building him back up. I mean, he and may I, have lost it, but he lost it to the top guy, right? And spent most of that feud dominating, always finding a way to get on top, a way to be on top. And so, you know, the the, the loss to Punk. May have, it may have been a loss, but he won in that loss as a correct as a, as a his stock in Ring of Honor um, was upped as a result of uh, of you know being married to Punk for all those months. Yeah, I, I would 100 percent agree. The finish to this one would come when Jimmy Rave would uh, block a uh, second rope brain buster from Austin Aries and would counter with a second rope rave clash. Uh, of course, this is still in the period where AJ Styles is not permitted uh, to be around. Aries would kick his way out of that um, and head down to the ground uh, bulldog style. And uh, Sunset Flip would pick up the win for Jimmy Rave at 13 minutes and 30 seconds. And I thought this was just a fantastic way to build up Jimmy Rave um, after the match would end. Uh, and you had a clean finish, too, because you didn't have Jimmy Rave cheat to win um, as a heel. But after the, the feud, Alex Shelley would attack. And Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Goderick Strong and Matt Seidel would make their way out to make the save. AJ was back. AJ was back at this point? Yeah, AJ, AJ and Daniels both came back at the homecoming. Okay. So I'm, but they're not on this show. Well, AJ is not. Daniels is not. No. no, AJ is not. Um, so I was, yeah, he came back. He came back at the homecoming. If I, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, he was he was back he was back by this point because this was they were now also putting him towards the um, the ownership of the clash in September. Well, shout out to uh, OMD for giving me the Iggy on the finish, so I didn't have to go to the homecoming. <laughs> um, we uh, we have next would have uh, move on from Generation Next and the Embassy's version of faction warfare to. A two-man faction, uh, and I guess another two-man faction, really. Uh, this tag team match uh, is a rematch from Manhattan Mayhem back in May. And this is the Samoa Joe and his protege, protege. taking on Homicide and Low Key alongside Julius Smokes, the heart of the Rottweilers. And uh, you mentioned something to me um, about low key, uh, maybe maybe it was on social media. You put it out out there. Um, oh yeah. Let's let's kind of kind of get into low key here, and then mm. comment on what you said. All right. So and I think I, it, it's appropriate. I recently I, I just started um, switch switch my cable provider from Comcast to Verizon. Verizon has whatever the fuck the name of that channel is that MLW airs on. Be so in sports. I, be in sports. So I finally saw um, low key on MLW, and it's, this is the first time I've seen anything of key in years. And I immediately looked at him and I dubbed him. Whether or not anyone else has done this, I have no idea, or if I'm an original, yay me. Um, I immediately called him Agent Forty Seven Key because he's dressed exactly like the Hitman character from the video games. And I tweeted that how I it's as I was watching this, my first thought was how is it that Gangsta Key, as the message boards dubbed this version of Low Key, managed to be a heel and entertaining at the same time? Well, Agent Forty Seven Key has accomplished neither, based on what I've seen of MLW so far with him. I haven't seen anything that's that was entertaining or good. There's little, I haven't seen a lot. I will not say that. I have not seen a lot of it yet. But what I have seen, I have, I, it was just such a stark contrast in heel versions of Loki. Um, I have I've now seen all the version of or all the episodes of MLW uh, up until the Battle Riot show of Loki um, from MLW. I think Tony Schiavone does a great job on commentary. Um, he's a lot more loose describing what he's seeing. I think he's genuinely having fun. But the one thing that is not fun about that show is Loki. He is... It's almost like all the good things about him have been stripped away and really goofy things have just been added on top of him. And now he's just a parody of himself. Yeah, like that, that promo that you had warned me about weeks ago and I finally got around to seeing where he's talking about like the writing on Shane Strickland's tombstone is going to be 17 paragraphs long. It's just, it was a fucking brutal promo. And it just, it's, 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 
it was just a, like I said, it was just a stark contrast that I was literally watching these two versions of Loki within a couple days of each other. And while the crowd does cheer this version of Loki, the gangsta key, there's absolutely nothing about him. Regardless of if they cheer him, he does not act remotely like a babyface. He doesn't play to the crowd. He just does really fucking awesome stuff that the crowd appreciates. So they cheer for him. Um, which kind of made at some points, I think, the Jay Lethal Loki rivalry difficult. Because the fans didn't necessarily rally behind Lethal at all times. But there was no question that this is a heel Loki. This is is Loki taking Sua and Otani and modernizing them even more with, you know, and just being a vicious, violent fucking prick. Yeah, I, I believe the description that that I used was an urbanized Otani. Yeah, and uh, you know maybe a little bit of Minoru Suzuki mixed in there as well. And this this low key is just a, it's a different animal. And this was the best low key for me. Gangster key was so different, so unique, so violent, and people just loved him. I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, I know it was special to have him in because he was always in and out and couldn't get along with anybody. But at the end here, like, you know, the key is you're going to get your Samoa Joe low-key battle back and forth. You're going to get the low-key Jay Lethal feud to continue. You're going to see Homicide and Joe go at it again. Um, This was a a wild, wild brawl, but it kind of started out somewhat flat um i think i think i'm gonna guess that the fans thought that they were going to get the wild brawl from jump street yeah and they got a wrestling match for a while before they got to the craziness yeah i mean uh jay lethal would clear the ring after the the brawl kind of started early and uh with a springboard drop kick um joe would get put in the wrong corner and homicide kind of just dragged ass a little bit early on he'd hit a sloppy ddt um low-key and joe would exchange blows with each other which you know kind of ramped up the crowd a little bit uh jay lethal got a hot tag and would go after homicide and then low-key just kicked jay lethal in the head and it was like silence um I, I, in in the notes that I have, I called it a prick waving contest from the Rottweilers because <laughs> they they tease Joe while just beating the fuck out of Jay Lethal, and the the hot tag to Joe when is really when the match picked up uh, because he would clean house, um, low key would miss the ghetto stomp, and Joe would tag in. Joe would clean house on Homicide. Um, and then Loki would come back right off the top with the double stomp on Joe. The, the back and forth here is is great, but you didn't get a ton of Loki and Joe. You got teases of it. It was like you'd kind of give them an inch, the fans would want 10 feet. You'd give them a foot, the fans want 100 yards. Leave them wanting more. And you you just kept wanting more and you never got it. Yep. 
Yep, it was it was just it was was teases and but when it was them, fuck. Oh my god. <laughs> they 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 did. They beat the ever living shit out of each other when they were in the ring together. And it was great every single time. Every single time. Um right. they, they just yeah. had a magic a magic to them. Yeah, yeah, like, like yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt, I mean, you know, that very first meeting is what caused Ring of Honor fans to fall in love with Joe. Yeah, Samoa Joe became a made man on a loss, mm-hmm. essentially, and I guess that's a that's kind of a pattern that speaks to the baby faces in Ring of Honor is that when the baby face conquers, the heel that loses can often be be leveled up, so to speak. Yeah, and I think. Plus, like I said, it's just that that with that match being so early in the Ring of Honor um, pantheon, it's uh, it's it's it is taken on. I don't know. I don't know to this day if at all. But you know, during all of the Gabe era, you know that match had an aura that you could refer back to, um, and they do in the commentary to this. They 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 consistently talk about the very first meeting at the very first glory by honor between these two guys and here we are you know three years later and it's still going because it's never been settled and it will never be settled and i think the quote never be settled phrase is perfect to describe things and i don't think we'll ever see those two wrestle again yeah probably not probably probably not the and then, then yeah, the other side of it is just this is, you know, this is about, um, I mean, the real story of all of this, of all of it, even with Joe's tie into this, is is ele- elevating Jay Lethal. That's, that's what the story of this entire Rottweiler's rivalry is. It's elevating Jay Lethal. Which, be, it this, be it this match or the Glory by Honor stuff or... What there's stuff at homecoming that that that, that happened. It's like all of the interactions are about making Jay Lethal uh, getting working him up, and yet yeah, took another decade to get Jay Lethal to that point. But still, it uh, that that was the 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 point of all of this in 2005. And that's that's kind of the thing that leads into arguably the most seminal moment of the whole match occurs after the match is called as a disqualification. Um, Jay Lethal would hit Loki with a beautiful dragon suplex, and just when you think he's finally got a three count, Homicide would throw elbows to the referee and draw the disqualification. And... Did we ever figure out who the fuck that referee is? No. Okay. No, I, I went back and I watched. I looked at him. I couldn't figure out. Yeah, he looks very familiar. I can't think of his name. Yeah, nor could I. Um, but we uh, we would uh, have the disqualification. The fans are pissed, and I think a lot of us were expecting this to turn into Manhattan Mayhem again, and that we would have another long brawl. Uh, unfortunately, that was not the case, and Joe and Lethal are pissed. So they toss Homicide into the crowd, and the brawl continues. Low-key would fight his way up to the top of the bleachers, and he would hit a double stomp on Jay Lethal from the top of the bleachers. And that would elicit a You Killed Lethal chant from the fans. What a fucking visual. 
one of the greatest camera shots I think in in company history. They're not even, but I would say it's not even the best one of this match. That's the end. I mean that that that's just amazing. Um, and, and so Joe would return after that. The fans would start tossing chairs uh, at the Rottweilers. Homicide and Low Key would jump the rail and run out to the other side. Key would sneak back in and hit Joe from behind. Uh, then he would give Jay Lethal the key crusher, and we kind of wrapped the segment. This was a, a really fun brawl on top of the finish. Do you think that that it was done this way because Loki was not willing to go under? No, no. I think that's that was logical to me um, <clears throat> of where to go, of where to go. You know, that why why. You know, you want it. You want to. It's not time for Lethal to win yet. You know, it's not time for Lethal to win yet. And that's what you do. You give him that moment where you think, you know, the, the the baby face is going to get his win over the big bad heel, and they pull it out from underneath them, and it just fucking blows up, and we go everywhere, and chaos ensues. And you know, at some point in here, I could I didn't even catch when it happened. Key start. Key gets busted open. Um, whether it be when he gets a chair thrown at his head, or if it's you know from like you mentioned maybe a Joe headbutt, I thought like Joe headbutted him. And, and at some point, did it. and that's what you know what I was saying. For me, the best camera shot is right there at the very end when Key's in the entrance way. Like you talk about fucking moments in wrestling and how a visual can tell a story. The visual of Key and Homicide in the entryway, Key fucking covered in blood and you know giving the finger to everybody. Or with his version, just the no finger, but you know, pointing up his fist. Uh, like that visual to me was the most, uh, like the best camera shot of this, of this, um, this segment, this whole sequence. Interesting. Because I thought it just told the story, like it just, it, that intensity of you know homicide and key in the entryway, and just the two of them as a team was, you know. It's this knowing, you know, baggage and bullshit and history of, you know, trainer, trainee and yada, yada, yada. And uh, seeing the two of them on the same page as a team from a character perspective was just like something, something awesome. That, you know, I, I think had more than Homicide and Boogaloo or Homicide and um, Ricky or with Reyes or with Romero or with anybody else like the two of these guys as a team that's the face of the fucking Rottweilers to me yeah I, I would 100% agree you know those are two of the guys that were um, central parts to Ring of Honor early on and you know obviously Loki was in and out so much that his impact Grand scheme of things, it wasn't what it could have been, but it made him more special. Exactly, like I, I, you know, I mentioned, we talked about there in the uh, words, Joe stuff, the second anniversary show. That's why he was brought in because it was special and pop the crowd and make the three way between Joe, Moff, and Whitmer into. Elevate it, you know, by throwing key in there, and yeah, he 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 was a special special thing to Ring of Honor, and I I think 
I don't know if it would have the same impact on the current Ring of Honor audience, but at a time, I think bringing Key back, the only thing that would have had a bigger impact was a permanent punk return. Mm-hmm. You know, Loki coming back would be, you know, would would I think that would entice old long-term fans back to see what's going on as much not as much as punk but maybe second to punk coming back to that company what about brian Ooh, maybe now and i think brian would bring eyes that's a thing like brian and punk would bring other eyes onto the product as well key going back i think would just entice long-term fans back or old-time fans back i mean Fair enough. I, I I would be intrigued to see any of the three come back through. Um, I highly doubt any of them will, will be back. Agreed. We'll, we'll be back. But, uh, you know, by the time this show drops, it'll be uh, August 13th. And uh, we'll be a couple of weeks out from All In. And Brian's contract expiring, allegedly, potentially, on September 1st. So, who knows? Anything is certainly possible. I think the one of the three, the least likely man you'll ever see back is Loki. Yeah, I agree. I and that's the, agree. that's the saddest part of the whole thing. Yep, I agree. Because he's the, he's, he's the most active, independent. He's probably not as expensive as of either of the other two. And you'll Prob- never, you'll never the, see him back. The most available, but the least likely. Yes. Well put. That might be a t-shirt. If we ever get a pro wrestling tea store, most available but least likely. Um, but that ends that ends a, a, a wild brawl. Um, I remember just thinking back live to the show, um, how intense it was. But I kind of was, as we talked about, left with wanting more. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't really get much more of Joe and Low Key. But we got Jay Lethal and Loki. Um, so, you know, uh, listen, I'm a huge Loki fan, but I know what what his baggage is, and that's why he, as we said, he's the least of the three we would like to see back, likely to see back in Ring of Honor. But up next, we would head to the backstage area, and Ace Steel would join us for a promo tape before his match. Clearly, uh, he talks about taking in Punk and Cabana working their way up. They're like his two kids, which is very much a true statement. Um, he trained both of them along with Danny Dominion. It's in, it's in it's mis- saying that word. Sorry to cut you off right there, but it's just an interesting thing. Uh, Ace is your I grandfather. I don't... This is my grandfather. Yeah, it's an interesting thing for pro wrestling that um, the free... The, 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 using the description, people kids to describe their students because these are aces kids we were punks kids you know like cheeseburger you know and and those guys were referred to as hunters kids and you know rhett and grizz and narnie and you know alex or or aries kids even if alex would never want to hear me say that again in life um you know it's 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 always like the students of that person you know alex law and ricky landell we call them carino's kids so it's 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 interesting. Like yeah, I was Punk's kid, even though he's like nine months older than me. <laughs> it's, 
he's, he's still my dad. He's my wrestling dad. And, Always will be. And Ace is your wrestling grandpa. My wrestling grandpa, but he's actually probably about the same age as my grandfather. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Ace. My grandpa's 90. Ace is older. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this was also filmed in the Blue World. Did you notice that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. This was this was filmed in the Blue World. Um, I think that's somewhere around between Avatar and Smurf Village. It's one of the two. It's yes. like right in the middle, same same neighborhood. Near um, near the blue corner too. Yeah, th- th- this is um you know th- th- this is uh, um not giving a fuck about white balancing. Yeah, it was, it was. Even though it was filmed against a white wall, and just had to click a fucking button to hit white balance. Yeah, it was super weird. The blue the blue world is. Uh, God, I, how many of the, the promos were taped back there? I don't like, even know where this was. I, if this was taped outside of the building in Chicago, if this was taped in Dayton, I, I'm was, not. It really looked like it was Dayton. I think it was the back backside of Dayton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. But he he does make one announcement. He says that one fall won't make a difference tonight, so it has to be a two out of three falls match. Um. You know, it, this wasn't intended to be anything more than just kind of a give Ace a chance to talk about his his kids getting a chance to headline and one of them going off to the land of entertainment and sports um any other ace steel because we don't really talk about ace too much on the shows any other ace steel stories real quick (laughs) so i want to say it was i don't know if it was my very first iwa mid-south show or if it was just one of the three shows that first weekend um which would have been October of 2005. And, sorry, October of 2004. And just Ace does commentary on one of the matches with Punk. It's Ace and Punk doing commentary on the match. So it's either I wrestled, I think Matt Turner and me had two matches that weekend. Then I wrestled Jimmy Jacobs, and then I wrestled a tag match. It was it was four minutes. I think there were four shows that yeah, it was four shows that weekend. There's, and then the last one was a tag match where me and Matt Turner teamed together to wrestle um, Anthony Franco and Evan Starsmore. So one of the matches, uh, it just listening to Ace try to say my last name, tried to say Hagadorn and just like butcher it and just making shit up. And then at one point, uh, he just says. Um, is uh, you know what that tattoo on on, on Hagadorn's Hagamathorn's back means? And Punk just goes, "Who?" And he goes, "Hagadorn, Shane, your student." And he's like, "Oh, okay." And I just laugh because I look at it as this way: you literally you spend a year with somebody and you call them one name, and now for the first time in that year you have to call them by another name. It's difficult, you know, because mentally you're still thinking this person's name is, you know, is X and it's actually now you have to call them Y. Hell, even though it is, it doesn't, there's still people that call Alex Sugarfoot and he hasn't used Sugarfoot in a decade. But there's still people who call him Sugarfoot because that's what it was at the beginning, you know. There we still call Retsky and Retsky the Jetski hasn't been a thing in 10 years, you know. I still call Grizz's in my phone as Mitch. That's who he was, and so it was. It was just this funny back and forth between Ace and Punk on that on that IWA Mid South show, um, discussing my name and my tattoos. And he just, I, I Ace was a. I, I- 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. really enjoyed the, the, the few times that it you know, wasn't around him a ton because uh, he wasn't in on all the time. But uh, I, I did enjoy the times I did have with with Ace. Yeah, one of the great characters uh, in terms of people. Uh, somebody I'm a, a huge fan of and uh, wish we'd have been around a little bit more. Uh, especially post-punk leaving, he was not around hardly at all, which is a shame. But we would head next to the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Titles. Uh, B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs would defend against James Gibson and Spanky. So the announcers, um, Dave Prezak and Lenny Leonard in particular, um, they assure us that James Gibson will stay in ROH until he loses the title. Uh, Of course, he won the Ring of Honor World title from CM Punk the night before in a four-way in Dayton at Redemption. Uh, and the the title was not on the line. This match was signed before Gibson won the belt. Uh, of course, Gibson could become the double champion here, which would be interesting. And um, both Spanky and James Gibson kind of in an interesting uh, transitional period, I guess you could say. Well, my the, the thing that's raised for me, and I, I I don't remember at what point we collectively found out that Gibson was leaving. Commentary being done in post, mind you, would have you believe that we knew it when he won the belt, but I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think it was kind of a Gibson's going back, and we just gave him the belt. What the fuck? Uh, sort of thing. Like, I, I don't remember exactly when, but I'm fairly confident that it was not in advance of giving him the title because I don't think... I can't imagine Gabe would have done that twice in a row. Like, yes, putting it on Punk was a big story uh, in his exit, but I can't see putting the belt on somebody that we knew was leaving again. Um, it just seems odd. But again, I, I don't 100% remember uh, the details of that, and if I if I was even aware. But it also made also made me question. All right, so Gibson won the belt in August and was done in 
October, dropped the belt in September. Even if we didn't know he was going back in August, did he already know that he was going back in August? Or did he at least have some inkling that he that 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 this was going to happen? And so it just it was it was just it was, everything happened in such like close proximity to each other in terms of him winning the belt, him us finding out he was leaving, and him actually leaving. That it just seems so. Like looking back on it, I feel like there's no way he didn't know he was going when Gabe decided to put the belt on him. So he but made. Did, his... But did we know? But did Ring of Honor as a whole know? Whether it be just Gabe knew, or if everybody, see, or Carrie, or Raw, like I don't recall that part of when we knew. But I, I I'm almost positive he won the belt, and then we found out. So his timeline of, of events here is he wins the belt October 12th, 2005. He holds the belt until September 17th of 2005. His final appearance is October 2nd, 2005. And he's back on WWE TV December 17th of 2005, returning on Velocity of all places. Yeah. So... Uh, and then eventually, you know, WWE, he would team with that little midget kid, Cash. And, uh, you know, it, it just... The timeline here, it's very odd. Because I, I feel like post-production of this show would have been done almost instantly. Yeah, because... Within at the, the week. This, this was an August show. This was a... You know, t- turn it around and um, make try and have it make sure we have it in time for... Thanksgiving. I mean, it, this was early enough, but that was more like a uh, end of September, like end of September, early October shows. Those would be our our Thanksgiving releases, and that's you know the, those were like the biggest example of that is like Joe Kobashi, yeah, as as a Black Friday release, or you know this show as far as like a Black Friday you know seller for us, but it it it, it or Brian winning the belt. That's that's another one. That would have been a, a you know turned around in time for making sure we had it in time for Black Friday. I just man, it's just it's just strange to me. The the looking back on it now, if you know, thirteen years later, the 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 timing, like I said, the very short window that all of this happened in. Well, and you got you also have to factor in that Brian Kendrick is also headed back to WWE shortly thereafter. Yeah. Um. He uh, he was here uh, all the way through. Um, God, it would have been he had uh, resigned in July of 2005. So this would have been roughly his last date. Um, I because I don't remember him on anything after this. No, he he did because he joined the embassy after this. And they had the three-way at Night of... That, yeah, so Turnaround was not immediate on the show because they still had Night of the Grudges 2. That was the one week later because that was August 20th. Okay. They had the, they had the three-way. The match ended up being the three-way with Homicide uh, at Night of the Grudges, which <laughs> the graphics and, again, post-production changes that whole narrative uh, if I, if, as far as uh, what was announced versus what happened post-production would have you believe that was intended to be a three-way. As graphics that run on this show, but 
it was announced as a singles match and turned into a three-way. So his, his uh, WWE return was August 22nd, 2005. So it would have been the two days after Night of the Grudges. Yeah, okay. Yep, so now he just he had Night of the Grudges and was gone then? Sounds about right, because I don't remember. That was really? the last event of August, and the first in the, event he was an embassy. Was... He was an embassy member for, like, one show. Sounds sounds about right. Because September huh. of, of 05 would have been Brian winning the belt. Yeah. And I think that might have been... Was there any other shows in no. 2005? I don't no. think so. No, that's... that's... Yeah, that's, that's the only thing I recall... Because it was Brian won the belt, and then he was not available for the two Kobashi shows. Yeah, he was in Japan. And then came back for End of the Dragon. And yeah, so... It's, it's, it's also... Very weird timing. Yeah. Um, but this tag match is something that I look back on, and I fondly remember it from this show. Um... I, of course, I've talked about it on this show before. I had such a a, a hard-on for the B.J. Whitmer-Jimmy Jacobs tag team. And by this point, they had really started to groove together. Uh, Jimmy is the babyface in peril. B.J. is the, the, the hitter of the group. And their first run with the belts before they lost to the Carnage crew uh, wasn't it wasn't all the way there. But once they won it back, it was like the switch had flipped. And to me, I mean, you see it in their double team moves in this match. And, you know, obviously they're working with two world-class talents, Spanky and and James Gibson. So it's not like you're going to have a bad match. But it seemed like the chemistry here was very apparent. And I know both Jimmy and BJ had worked with Gibson in IWA Mid-South. Um, uh, I think each in a tag match and then once once a piece in singles. Uh, so, you know, the fam- familiarity um, between the two uh, with Gibson was, you know, on point. And Spanky had been around as well. Um, but this, this tag match, to me... It's not the best tag match of the Whitmer and Jacobs run, but it's one of the more standout-ish matches to me. I thought it just it was, this was a great example of the like the big brother little brother chemistry they had together, uh, and just their interactions were a little were kind of especially you know at the very beginning where they're deciding who's gonna who's gonna start the match and you know Jimmy trying to get. BJ to like huss and smiles and friendly and it just it's it's really kind of getting into that big brother little brother groove um, shortly before uh, shortly before their heel turn actually not too far off you know we're only like two months removed before prior pre Lacey's Angels here for yeah. BJ and Jimmy so it's uh, you're kind of seeing the very end of their baby face phase. Even down to the music, I thought. Their music to come out, it was um, Velvet Revolver, and I can't think of the name of the song. Slither. Slither. And and it had the hus. the fans would huss, huss, huss right after the mm-hmm. opening riff. 
And it, it, it was just that fiery, like... Um, and it was They didn't lose the belts to the Carnage crew. They lost it to... Um, no, no, you're right. Oh, the Carnage crew was the first time, and then Sal and... Tony Mamaluke was the second time through? Yeah, yeah, because okay. the Carnage crew was like that. Uh, congratulations. Um, you're fired. They, they lost it. Escaped from New York, went back at homecoming, and then lost it to uh, to Sal and um, Tony Mamaluke after that. Um, but the one, the other thing in this match to me that I, I think didn't really get played up very much is that both Spanky and, and Jimmy Jacobs use the same move. Their their signature, the slice bread number two, the Contra Code. Uh, they use- Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It differently, but in theory, it's the same move. And I yeah. think that's kind of an intriguing story that we never got to see. Um, or even get it really played up in this match. You can have a whole feud of the battle of the moves, and they can put in uh, Otani, and not Otani, Marfuji. Marfuji in there as well, and then you can throw in... Uh, you know, Ultimo Dragon with the version of it, the, the standing version of it that he was using in the, the you know the in the WWE and Dunham Marcos had the assisted slice bread that they use. You can just have a whole faction warfare over the uh, over slice the, bread number two. Over the slice bread number two. It's the greatest move since sliced bread. You know, what can you say? But the this the characters and the personalities here too especially with spanky and and jimmy i think could have been fun to play off of each other and man like i i texted you what a difference a year makes too because a year prior to this around joe punk two time uh, jacobs and shelly had their i quit match in chicago and no fucks were given by the live audience whatsoever no matter what they did or how hard they worked in that match. Uh, and now here we are in August of 05, and Jimmy's fucking uber babyface crowd super into his stuff, uh, super into him and BJ as a team. Probably the most, you know, to this point, over BJ had been uh, with the crowd as far as, like, having him be behind him and into all the shit, I would say. Uh, it was, um... And then, Jesus Christ... It's easy to forget how fucking much of a monster Gibson was. And I don't mean it like size or anything like that. I just mean like 
he how he would just he worked so hard everything he did tag match singles match three whatever every single match you knew that Gibson was just throwing it all out there Did, and I love that fucking running knee like his his knee strike leg that was so awesome I love the regal kind of like that regal knee so good the the word that comes to mind when I think of James Gibson in ROH during this time period is that he had this energy to him and it, it was it wasn't so much like something that he emoted toward the crowd but he was he was always just moving and anything he did the crowd like just breathed life into him and he was just energetic I can't help but laugh because you said the word I'm thinking of and then you delivered a paragraph. Well, energy. <laughs> energy is the word. But I had to provide some context. You know, this is this the is a, sh- a deep... stone will read, here lies Shane Strickland. He should have learned better than to do anything with Agent 47. And that is the paragraph that will be read on his tombstone as read by Agent 47. Thank you, Loki. Loki's like going to be a new voice that just runs into the show every week. Instead, of, that'll be my new run-on sentences instead of Homicide's uh, train of thought. Well, I mean, they could both be here, you know. Guests are welcome. Um, we'll, we'll be uh, hopefully having a special guest on our bonus episode uh, coming your way um, with a... Uh, once we get to the magical 250 followers number, it might even be out by the time this show is out. Who knows? So close. We're very and close. Two, and, you know, that 250th follower got to pick a show. Yeah. For for, for October. Because um, September's booked up. And October's almost booked up, too. Um, it's Yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, some of the ROH alumni picking shows in October. So we'll, we'll look forward to talking about that later on. But... In terms of this match, we, uh, we'll we talk about some highlights. Uh, BJ Whitmer would catch Spanky on a dive and then just ram him right back into the corner post, uh, which was brutal. Uh, we would see uh, James Gibson uh, go into the midair and Spanky would, uh, you know, basically almost like, push Gibson toward Whitmer uh, while he's in the air. Spanky would hit BJ Whitmer with a reverse Rana for two, which, you know, I called the introduction to spinal stenosis uh, <laughs> in our text messages. Um, it, it's just amazing to me thinking back, you know, all these years later to see, like, how BJ's neck was after the Mike Bennett pile driver on the apron. And here he's getting... You know, jammed into the mat head first, like spiked on his head. Not one of these protected ranas, and and this results in a two count because Jimmy Jacobs made the save. A lot of the times, BJ Whitmer would get pinned. Jimmy was making the save, and I thought that was a, a fun dynamic for their tag team. Um, and it, it kind of also served as using Jimmy as a weapon, um, a human weapon. Um, yeah, it was always fun to see. You know, Jack and Roddy had a little bit of that. Um, 
you know, seeing it, you know, in, in my own life, like when, when um, Kelly and Alex Payne teamed up, they would kind of, you know, use some of those using your little, the smaller partner as a weapon sort of spots. It's, it's always kind of fun to, uh, to have those and get creative with them and see what you can come up with. Yeah, and we would see that toward the finish of this match. Uh, they'd go about 17 minutes and 31 seconds. B.J. Whitmer would powerbomb Jimmy Jacobs onto Spanky, and that would set up for the Doomsday Rana. Spanky ducks, rolls up B.J. Whitmer, and James Gibson would tag in. He calls for the Tiger Driver. Of course, if you call for a move, you're not going to hit it. Uh, because Spanky, his own partner, would turn heel on him and super kick him in the face. Spanky hits Gibson with slice bread number two, and that allows B.J. Whitmer to pick up the pinfall victory. And your winners and still tag team champions, Jimmy Jacobs, B.J. Whitmer. Uh, A fun match to look back on. It still holds up, uh, which is something I was very pleased with. Um, That's always my big fear in going back and watching these shows, is that it's going to just be like, eh. God, I love this. I don't want my heart to break. And you've you've talked about this match so much, uh, even before, you know, as soon as we decided we were doing this show, you were like, I can't wait to watch it for that match as much as the main event. And and it's true. I mean, it it was my second favorite match on the show. And to me, it more than held up in the same manner that I expected it to. Um, Yes. The only disappointing part, and I wish I remembered exactly what was said, after the match, Spanky gets on the microphone, and it's very hard to hear what he said. It took a lot like that because you can't understand a lot of it's actually said because he's talking so because you get an audio feed directly off the camera, and so you really had to understand anything. He's always saying, ah. That's exactly what he said. Um, it was one of the problems of not having... Um, proper audio set up you know we were at, 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 at yet in, in in ring of honor you know we didn't get that for still a few years down the line after this um where the you know every show had 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 the uh, the mic feed you know having a direct mic feed into the cameras from the heart from those microphones you know it was just you wireless mic'd, I guess, to uh, Wayne of Wayne and Mary's audio board and to the speakers. And then, so what you're hearing is what the cameras are recording off the speakers. And it, it, it hurt this promo because essentially, the, the from what I could find via research, um, the, the gist of Spanky's message was he's tired of not getting title shots and he assure, assumes that he's owed a title shot, and since James Gibson is the champion, this is a business decision and not a personal decision. So that would lead to, as we discussed earlier, Night of the Grudges uh, 2 coming up now as a three-way with Homicide and James Gibson for the belt. Um, And that would be Spanky's last appearance in Ring of Honor, sadly, for quite some time. Um, and I think even now, you know, in 2018, if WWE were to release him, um, I would love to see him back. He was one of my favorite parts of the Cruiserweight Classic, and uh, as is his uh, his heelish character, you know, he was the only heel in that tournament, really. 
So it was uh, he was um, a definite highlight, even though he stole my finish. He the, the <laughs> he he's, book. he's always been somebody that I greatly enjoyed spending time with, and just he, he and I are, are very similar. And I would go around, and I I think I've told this story on the show before, but uh, did a Dragon <laughs> a Dragon Gate USA show in Chicago. Uh, it, was, it would have been their second show, and the Young Bucks. And myself um, did not have hotel rooms in Chicago. So we stayed at the airport. And Spanky came in uh, the next day uh, to the airport. We had early morning flights. I think mine was at like 8.30. Theirs was at like 9. And Spanky got to the airport at around like 7.30 and bought us all breakfast. So, you know, I've never... I, I don't have a bad word to say about him and... I hope he's got a WWE job for life. Um, but if if he doesn't and he wants to get back in the ring again, um, God, I would I would love to see him in Ring of Honor or any any of the Indies really. Um, just you know, I saw him at AIW a few years ago and. That was the last I've seen him um, in person. Um, he cert- when they come to town, he doesn't work out. So, um, miss that guy. Miss that guy. I'm a big fan of his, and you know, I would say he's probably one of my four or five favorite wrestlers in ROH history. Definitely one of the highlights of the early years, of the early year, that first year of shows. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But as we are here in 2000... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Five. Uh, a man that was really a highlight maker all year long. Uh, Roderick Strong would oh, uh, oh, sorry. come Buddy, through. Say Matt, Matt Hardy. And uh, yeah, he's wrestling Matt Hardy. Hey, Matt Hardy was making highlights and headlines at this point. Yeah, I guess talk a little bit about what Matt Hardy was going through in his life because we haven't really talked about any of the 2005 Matt Hardy run. Well, he was using so the you know, basically using was, somas. Is that what you were going was, for? <laughs> I was going to say early forms of social media to expose uh, Lita and Edge, and it ended up getting him fired because you know. He wouldn't shut the fuck up 
I mean, the WWE itself has done plenty of coverage about that over the years, and they turned it into a fucking storyline, which I think in essence ruined um, Matt Hardy's presence in Ring of Honor. So he started at Fate of an Angel in Connecticut in July was his first show. And the Monday prior to that, he showed back up on Raw. And i pretty confident that that ruined the impact he could have had on, on indie wrestling. Because I think maybe – I know he did like a, a show for, for Norm Connors for IWC – I think maybe before his first uh, before his first um, Ring of Honor show fuck that may have even been against AJ uh, as I'm just trying to pull it off the top of my head I think you're right and then um, so when he comes you know when he's back on TV before he shows up at Ring of Honor it kind of uh, kind of squelches I think the, he could I think that could have really ele- that would have elevated him a little bit more towards that, that like cult favorite that the broken gimmick did, really did for him um, if if he would have not gone back <laughs> before he ever showed up in Ring of Honor because by this point in Chicago he's not getting cheered anymore by the fans. He, and they haven't even seen his matches yet. Chicago fans have not seen his other matches yet because they haven't. The DVDs haven't turned around. You know, it's a month later. The DVDs aren't coming out that fast. They're just reading reports and that Hardy being blown up and just not keeping pace. And now definitely trying to do the, I, I think what he believed the style that was expected of him to work in Ring of Honor, a little you know a little stiffer looking, a little more. Uh, Hard hitting than the usual WWE style, but uh, yeah, the Chicago fans did not give him much of a chance, especially compared to Roddy. No, Chicago always had a, a soft spot for Roderick Strong, and there was literally nothing. They're like, I think I saw. So Matt did what five matches? No, he did Three. Daniels. Wasn't it just Daniels, Homicide, and Roddy? Yeah, so it would have been three. So I, I saw the Daniels match, sadly. I saw Homicide. Yeah, Fate of an Angel was Daniels. He was not at Homecoming. I was not at Homecoming. And, and, yeah, was I, don't remember, I don't remember him being at Homecoming in Philly and then Dayton in Chicago. Yeah. Oh. This would have been it. Because that cage match at... Um, or maybe it was a ladder match. Was it Unforgiven, which would have been in September? Oh, I'm pretty positive it was just the three. Um, and he beat Daniels. He beat Homicide. And we'll see what he does with Roderick Strong here. But to me, having seen both of those matches, I didn't think he was any, any, any bit of a fit. And he was not somebody that the fans gave any chance to. You know, we look back, and we haven't even covered this show, but Death Before Dishonor, the very first one, Jeff Hardy is in a very similar state to what Matt Hardy was in at this point with with (laughs) substance abuse uh, 
and and alcohol and I mean Jeff was a way more out of control than than Matt was. But at this point, I mean, I could tell you the story of, of Matt propositioning a friend of mine for drugs before this very show. Yeah, the Matt, Matt did not, but uh, Matt did not show it like Jeff. No, yeah. uh, and um, Matt didn't. The matches, match Hardy matches weren't. None of them were bad. No, but they weren't. They were more of like the. It was a novelty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, especially that first show, you know, that was more the, the novelty of Matt Hardy and what was going on. Uh, and that's why I said him him showing back up on TV before he came to ruined, ruined, kind ruined of ruined, it, it, ruined the been, novelty of it. I think his work would have been given more leeway by the fans had we had he not shown up on TV immediately. I mean, I, for us in the office, I remember, I know we're talking about an older you know, where that's not this show directly, but it was a cool, kind of like a shit, he name dropped us on TV. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't, as far as I recall, asked to do that or anything. That was being done of his own volition to promote the show he was he was doing um, that, that weekend. So... You know, he, he he did, I recall, him being more than, you know, more than nice and, you know, sociable. I don't remember him being one of those, I'm going to go sit off here all by myself because I'm a guy who was on TV uh, sorts. Um, fuck, I think there's dudes on the indies who never made it to TV of any kind who have bigger egos than the, the, the WWE superstars. <laughs> I think we each have a list of guys like that. Yeah, yeah, of the the the, the unearned egos um, by comparison, you know, the the big fish in a small pond egos. But uh, I don't recall him being one who had any kind of ego. I remember in Connecticut, like saying, you know, the you know, the the handshake and the introductions and all that good stuff, and he was more than cordial. You know, nothing. And same with this. And I remember, like, he didn't—he didn't come to collect a paycheck. You know, I, I will say that he did not come here to collect a paycheck. He came to work, and or try it, to. it showed. You know, he came to, and it showed in this match. You know, it showed in this match. This is the best match of the three. Yeah, I was, I was and it's with, it's with the guy who probably has the least, in a way, because it is Roddy has the least experience of his three opponents. Um, and it's definitely the lowest on the the, the, the the totem pole as far as, you know, the Ring of Honor guys. This is the match to elevate Roddy, you know, the continued process of elevating Roderick Strong. And fuck, like, he sells his ass off for Roddy. He, you know, Roddy's in control for a lot of this match, and he takes those fucking chops. He doesn't... You know, he's not shying away from Roddy beating the fuck out of him. He's selling it like it's death. Like, he, 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 you know, he may not be, he's not having Danielson classics or, you know, Joe strong style, key strong style or anything like that. But uh, aside from the match being, you know, feeling a little long at points. At watch, points? It, it, never, it never lost the crowd. Um, the match, that's the thing. The match never lost the crowd. See, so even I, if it felt long watching it on DVD, at no point is the crowd sitting there like, can we fucking end this match? They're with it and behind Roddy. 
the whole time. There was an awkward silence chant very early on in the match. Fucking fans are stupid. I mean, like, oh my god, there's there's five seconds of silence. Somebody needs to fill the silence with some sort of stupid noise. Yeah, that the awkward silence chant was terrible. And if you participate in that, shame on you. But I mean, it. There was points where I felt like the fans, especially I know the people that I sat with during the show, were just like. All right, we know where we we kind of had an idea that Roddy was going to be the one to finally get the win after Daniels and Homicide were sacrificed, but the feelings almost like uh, maybe we just you know let's wrap this up. Like there was a point I think at about the the twelve or thirteen minute mark where like okay this probably is not going to go much longer and it went for another twelve minutes, and we're just like oh my god like this is. This is just so long, and I, it it did a great job of elevating Roderick because, as you said, Matt Hardy took everything Roddy had to give—the chops, um, the the backbreakers, like everything. As beat up as Matt Hardy was, and I think that's something that we we haven't really addressed, is that Matt Hardy he was beat up, like his body. In 2005, he was beat up from the WWE schedule. There's, but, and you'd only know that in hindsight, though, when you hear right. them talk. When you hear him on the various interviews and DVDs they put out, and you know other interviews he's done outside of you know, the, the the WWE, like you hear him talk about what he was going through. I mean, you know, and I know it's a lot of more recent material, but that special they just did on the on the network on the Hardys was a. Gives you great insight into where both of both Matt and Jeff, because they it's always a discussion of Jeff's problems. So this is like one of the first times I remember them doing something they really got into Matt's problems. And yeah, and I will say the the one conversation that I've ever had with Matt Hardy, and it was a very short conversation, it was during his second uh, trip to Ring of Honor. So the scum, would have been, the scum era stuff. Yeah, I mean that would have been what 2012. Yeah, 12, 13. Uh, so it would have been um, Four, or 12, 13, 14, something around that. Yeah, yeah. like in it was yeah, been... 2012 during Scum, and then he came back again. Um, the Adam after Adam Cole was the champion, right? Yes. And yeah. then came back again with Jeff <laughs> to yeah. win the belts. So I mean, he's been around a lot, but uh, I think it was the second stint, and uh, I remember talking to him and and like. He, you could see that he like couldn't stand, or like stand up straight. Like his back was really bothering him. I said, "Do you need like a chair or something?" He's like, "No, nah, I'm, I'm, I'll get through it. Like I just gotta keep pushing." And I, I just, I was like, "Wow!" Like that's the first time I've ever heard anybody say like, "I'll, I'll just keep pushing through it. I'll, I'll live." And cre- credit to Matt Hardy because that's something that I kind of have adopted in my own physical pain with like my hip or whatever to where if i'm at the gym and i'm miserable i'll just say you know what i'm just gonna keep pushing i'll be fine i'll get through it i'll I'll, i'm it's not the same but it's it's something that has stuck with me and it's weird i laugh because in my head i hear just keep swimming just keep swimming just keep swimming and that's i guess because i'm a parent i guess yeah i mean my my mom and dad put me in swim lessons as a I don't know I was probably around Nate's age. 
It just you've obviously never seen Finding Dory. No. Exactly. No, I never, I never found. At a zoo, I saw a fish that looked like Dory, and I took a picture of it. But that's about it. Good story, bro. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> it's the last time I was at the Cleveland Zoo. So I need to go back there before the summer's out. But um, this match was was definitely Matt's best match uh, during the the trio of matches, and. At one point, he'll signal for the leg drop. Roderick would cut him off and hit him with the super-pressed gut buster. Uh, Dude, that spot, I popped for that spot because Matt, at that point, he knew he was a fucking heel to this crowd. Mm-hmm. And he milked that leg drop. He didn't go up there, do his oh and rush. He stood up there. And I think that's the sign of the level of experience, you know, a guy like that has. Just, like, the, like the difference between working indies and working that. Like, he got up there, he read the crowd, he went, kind of smirked, smiled, kind of slowed down the whole, oh, so when Roddy got up and cut him off, the fucking crowd popped big for that shit. That was smart. It was very smart. And that that psychology, you know, the crowd is, is, during the course of the match, they're chanting, fuck you, Hardy, die, Matt, die, fuck him up, Roderick. Like, that's alternating all throughout the whole match. And... It was a totally one-sided crowd. Um, I think Chicago was probably Roderick Strong's most successful market in terms of the crowd that made him elevate up the card. And this match was a very big part of it um, in terms of the elevation, especially for what we would see later on in 2005 with Roddy in Chicago and into 2006. But uh, Roderick would charge into a sunset flip, get a two-count, and would come out of it with a Boston Crab. Uh, Matt would get to the ropes. He'd lock in the butterfly clutch that he's been using, forcing Roderick to get to the ropes, which I thought was a nice play on you know, the idea of these two guys are kind of fast-paced. Essentially, Matt used to be fast-paced. Roddy's now a faster-paced guy, but they're going to slow it down with submissions so it showed that they could mix it up and do different styles. Yeah, Matt, who had never used the submission hold on in WWE in his entire no. career to that point. No, I. But he had been using that butterfly clutch. Uh, I think he started it in the Daniels match. Yeah, yeah, I remember that being incorporated into his uh, his move set. Um, but the finish would would come at the twenty three fifty three mark. Roderick would miss a crossbody, and get hit with the side effect. Uh, which, of course, is one of Matt Hardy's most signature moves. Matt would attempt another one, but Roddy is able to counter with a roll-up for a win, 23-53. And uh, to me, that was the wrong finish to the match. You think he should have gone over a little more uh, a little definitive? More like... firm. I think I would have had Hardy tap out. Yeah. Well, at that point, I don't think I don't remember if the stronghold was established I definitely was not named. No, it um, was. He, he it was, was still kind of using more like just you know whatever backbreaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the end of the hard end of heartache. Uh, the ba- the stronghold. Those those hadn't been finished, you know, and, and served yet. He was using um, a, a couple of different backbreakers to finish guys off, but I really feel like a submission win would have been definitive. Yeah to establish Roderick but the way the crowd was 
it essentially made Roddy such a huge baby face that a surprise win also worked in terms of getting a pop. And, um, and clearly, clearly, Matt, clearly, Matt, Matt's not Japanese, so he doesn't have to beat the entire roster. Right. Um, we did neglect to mention that before the bell even rang, the embassy tries to attack uh, Roderick Strong, but Austin Aries and Matt Seidel would come out and chase them to the back. Um, but that's a minor minor note in the, the history of this match. Um, it, I, I just would have preferred a, a stronger finish uh, and maybe a little less time off the match, um, especially yeah. considering how long the main event goes. Um, or if you're going to do this length of a match, maybe put it earlier in the show before intermission. Well, I think part of the the, the the running you just mentioned, I think that's the reason why this one of the reasons why this match goes on later. Mm-hmm. Oh you yeah, know, totally. Aries, that way, Aries has recovery time. Quote unquote. Yeah. Plus, it's Matt Hardy, so you know they're going to put this on, put the name on, you know, later in the show. Right. I mean, it just. There were, there were just a couple little tweaks I would have done uh, with the match that probably could have made it a little bit better, but I don't think I don't think it was a bad match. I just think it was too long. Yeah, agreed. And it was really a good establishment match for Roderick's career. Um, something for him to check off his, his bucket list, I guess you could say. Whooped Matt Hardy's ass. Yep. Check. Check. Um... Is there anything that you have um, specifically to this period of time with Matt Hardy that you can remember? Any interactions, fun stories? Um, <laughs> any lessons? Like, did he sit you guys down at all as, as no, the guys? No, none of, not, not anything that I recall of that. I just remember how excited that Mary Kate, the Mary Kate photographer, the photographer Mary Kate, how excited she was to go. Uh, to go get him uh, prior to um, the Connecticut show. She's very, very excited. Well, she did take a couple of the promo pictures in the Blue World. Yeah. Um, that, are, that are out there. I think there's one that maybe we could throw up on Facebook uh, when the show comes out in uh, the archives. Um, I think that it's the Alex Payne archives. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... To me, it just—I like the idea of his shirt, the us versus them. Even though he was a part of the them, <laughs> in hindsight. Um, and you know anybody that worked with him, I know Daniels enjoyed his match. They had a history going back um, to the Omega era. Um, Daniels is actually from North Carolina. People don't really know that, but um, he was from that area, lived there for a while. Um, so they knew each other and got to work with each other. They worked uh, Super 8 together. <laughs> Bless you. Way back Ooh. in the day, they worked a Super 8 together, and you sneezed on it, so it's 100% true. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they worked a Super 8 with each other. Uh, Matt and Jeff worked, uh, I believe it was the 1998 Super 8. Jeez. Um, I've, got the, I've still got that VHS tape um, in the, in the uh, DVD room. Um, but Daniels was in that tournament, and Matt wrestled uh, Chris, I think, in like the second round. Wow! Um, and then I, in in in, in two thousand four, I 
I, I filmed Daniels wrestling another Super 8. He's king of the indies. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and and so I think for us this was just a... Um, ho- hopefully this brings some new eyes onto the Ring of Honor products, uh, having having Matt Hardy on there, you know? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't... It wasn't a, a legend like Jim Cornette or, you know, Ricky Steamboat or uh, F- Flair would be or Foley would be. It was somebody who was kind of like what I guess Jeff Hardy was in 2003. He was of the headlines at that moment in, in the wrestling community. He was the hot shit. So people's eyes would follow him, hopefully, um, as he was in, in the headlines with all of the shit with Lita and Edge and getting fired and going back and showing up on TV and all, all of that. So it was, you know, it was it was something to get eyes on the product more more than it was for anything else, you know. And My, hopefully, and hopefully, uh, you know, do do some good for uh, for some of the talent and sell some DVDs. And that he did. Uh, unfortunately, on this DVD. He's not the selling point. Um, the selling point is our next match, our main event. Um, and, you know, we, we do want to, uh, of course, talk about our friends over at Linebacker Mattress. Uh, Linebacker Mattress is something that Matt Hardy could have given to some of the fans uh, after some of his performances in Ring of Honor. Uh, we all know that uh, Linebacker Mattress is, of course, uh, the number one mattress out there for people needing optimal performance. And optimal performance starts with sleep. That's why you need Linebacker Mattress. Linebacker Mattresses are specifically designed and built for people with active lifestyles. And if you put greater demand on your body, like Roderick Strong did in this past match, your body demands a greater quality of sleep. Working with professional football players Bobby Wagner and Doug Baldwin and sleep study expert Dr. Gregory Jantz, Linebacker Mattress has created a complete line of mattresses to meet the needs of those who require more from their body. The entire line offered by Linebacker Mattress is engineered to address the primary four points of mattress comfort. That's pressure relief, proper support, relief from excess heat, and relief from excess moisture. Linebacker Mattress is the only foam mattress that offers extra lumbar support, 2 plus inches of serene foam, STA cool gel, and the highest density memory foam available. Customers can buy with absolute confidence. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Knowing there's an 89-day rest test, And if the mattress is not right for you, customers will receive a full refund, and that includes shipping. So check out linebackermattress.com, shop Linebacker Mattress today, linebackermattress.com, linebackermattress.com. And we would move on to our main event, the headline match, the reason that we are all here today. It's two out of three falls. <laughs> Definitely. No, no, even, even the reason I am here today. Literally. The, the reason we are all here today. Um, it is it is two out of three falls. CM Punk in his final Ring of Honor match, in parentheses, until February of 2006. And then that would be his final Ring of Honor match. Versus Colt Cabana. Um, this is... One of those matches that you kind of dreaded coming into it, but you also at the same point were very happy knowing that maybe it's not goodbye, it's see you later. And I guess let's talk a little bit about, um, I guess, kind of the lead up to uh, this match, we we won't necessarily go into the full summer of punk because I think that's an episode unto itself. But emotionally, what were what were some of the things going on, you know, in the locker room, in the office? Um, what 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 were people thinking around this time? I'm trying to trying to remember the bigger picture and not just me and you know my 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 guys um uh kind of um that just you know happy and sad you know uh figure you know even prior to the school opening like punk behind the scenes was was in the office even in the old offices and doing commentary, he had, you know he lived an hour away from um, from where both the original office was and the the Bristol Ring of Honor office. You know he lived like the Collegeville area of Pennsylvania, and um, so he was local. I mean it's it's fairly local, and so he was around a lot then, even before the school opened. And once the school opened, it was you know three four days a week, you know, depending on his, his his schedule between the school, other dates, you know, TNA, TNA dates, um, zero one dates here and there. Like it was, uh, he was as much of a presence in the office as, uh, as almost any of us, you know, uh, for a while. And then, you know, the last few months as, um, 
they started doing like you know darks and tryout matches and then Sunday night heat tapings and things like that. And, you know, obviously it was less and less. And uh, <laughs> frequently I was the one with tasked with uh, playing dumb as to where Punk was that day. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, don't tell anybody where I'm at tonight. They'll find out on Tuesday or they'll find out on Wednesday when they see the results. <laughs> when it goes online, that oh, I punked at a dark bench last night. Did you know about that? Uh, um, uh, all right. Uh, just yeah, going through a lot of the process and having conversations with with him about the process and uh, now waiting for you know. I remember. The day that it was like, nope, the contract showed up today. Guess it's real. Guess <laughs> it's official. And, you know, as everybody has seen between the actual Sign of Dishonor DVD, the Summer Punk Comp DVD, the official WWE Punk DVD, you know, and what happened with the contract signing, and, um, you know, Aries kind of slowly, you know, segueing into being the, the trainer of the school. As Punk was um, moving out and uh, helping him pack up some shit at, at his house, he now oh, it's kind of a, th- a theme here between the two guys I consider my trainers. Uh, Brian gave me a shitload of comics when he left to go back to to Washington um, that he had gotten from from OMD and Punk. And I still have this sitting on my, my bookshelf right now. Uh, gave me his volume one trade of uh, the Preacher comic. Um, no. That, and uh, I before he left. And so I still have that sitting on my shelf. And it's it's I think it might even be signed um, to him. I have to double check that. But it's, I got it. it was, I remember being uh, – I just kind of like remember the whole process and the emotions of it and being very happy for him and being like – and that's why sometimes like me and like the Dempseys and those guys will joke that I'm – that they're my kids, not punks. <laughs> but, uh, man, it was a – it was just – it was a very emotional time like all over the place because you're happy for somebody. You know, you're happy for your friend, your trainer, your wrestling dad, but you're also sad to see them go um, at the same time. And, and I think for the office, I think I think there was that little bit of uh, I think it was very clear to anybody watching the product, you know, for the, the best guys, the comparison has always been made. Uh, Punk was Gabe's Raven. I think everybody looked at it like that. And so it was what's Gabe going to do now? Like, who's Gabe going to have now? And you know, it was kind of that fortuitous timing, as I mentioned, of, of Gibson being there and being available is to, to step up and be the next champion. But we also got a hell of an amazing, you know, few months there with the Summer of Punk to lead up to this night, or more to lead up to the night before. The Summer of Punk ended in Dayton. This was, you know, this was the, the after party, the goodbye party. Um, and... And I remember that day it was you – know, that was the day that I like, I remember meeting, you know, meet, meeting parents for the first time. You know, I'd never met uh, Punk's you know, parents before that. And, uh, and it was just very um, – it was 
emotional. And watching it back was, you know, I messaged you while I was doing it. Hell, I fucking tweeted about it. Like, fuck. <laughs> it, was, it was tough. It was, t- it was, it was, it was not, not tough, like hard to watch, just emotional to watch this all, to watch it back. <laughs> it can't put me right back in, put me right back in the moment as soon as uh, Misery, Misaria, Misery, Kantari started. As soon as that music started, it put me right back in the moment. Not Cabana's entrance. As soon as AFI started, I, fuck, right back in the moment. Well, and, you know, the AFI song played all the way through and then another song came on um talk a little bit about that other the, the other song that, that played um it's uh, uh it's bouncing souls mm-hmm. yeah and bouncing souls and the name escapes me yeah i just hoping um, to see you right now give me uh, one second i can fuck see stars more would notice right off the top of this Right off the top of his head, just because the more is his uh, his um, music, but it was um, fuck. I can picture it. Uh, 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 um, well, there's a there's a line in the song. And Night, train. Night train. Night train. Yes. Yeah. There's a line in the song that says, "Goodbye to me and you. Goodbye to the life we knew. Wipe the tears from your eyes. Let go and walk on through." And that always stuck out to me as like the the perfect way to look at this whole night you know like fans and I'm guilty of this too like at one point would get upset somebody was leaving for WWE and I think this was the first time I was genuinely like able to say I'm I was sad and and it's evident because I cried during this whole thing, but I was happy that it was Punk. I, I felt like he had earned the chance. I think that was. Uh, but I was under the wrong impression that he was going right to the main roster. I didn't realize he was going to Kentucky. <laughs> I, I think that um, I think that idea of being mad at people for leaving was like an ECW carryover. Because um, London, did, you know, London didn't get that from. You know, I wasn't there in attendance, but watching it on DVD, like London's not getting you sold out chance. But I was there at Anarchy Rules '99 when Taz got you sold out chance from the second he walked through the curtain after being, you know, the massive babyface for the last couple years and as a babyface champion. As soon as he walked out for that three with Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome, it was you sold out chance and. But I, you know, there wasn't that with Paul. There wasn't that with Punk. It didn't happen with Cabana leaving or um, when 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 Tyler left. Even though Tyler was, you know, last match was as a heel, and he healed on the crowd on his way out. It's like he didn't get you sold out chance. And Nigel and Brian obviously did not get you sold out chance. I think that was something that the Ring of Honor fans. I don't know if it's smarter than or smarter than that. Um, there wasn't that sense of like I feel I feel and I don't know like as a like longer term ECW fan than me for the last couple of years would be able to attest to this better. But I always got that vibe that that was there was like this feeling of betrayal 
if somebody left ECW mm-hmm. to go to the WWEF or WCW. But I think, especially at that time, given where Ring of Honor was versus you know where Ring of Honor is now, I think fans looked at it as as their guys getting their reward, getting the opportunity to. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Get what they deserved for all their hard work. You know, they knew, you know, punk, Brian, Joe, whatever, making, um, sorry, actually I have to correct myself on one thing, but I'll come back to that. They knew working for Ring of Honor was not going to give them the financial rewards that working for WWE was, nor would it give them the spotlight and the profile. And I think Ring of Honor fans, in a way, wanted more people to see these guys. Like, CM Punk deserves to be seen by a larger audience. Brian Danison deserves to be seen by a larger audience because of how good they are. I think they... Fans felt they earned that. All that being said, if somebody was leaving to go to TNA, a lot of that was fuck you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> because I think Ring of Honor, that was the promotion Ring of Honor fans viewed as less than. And it's proven to be less than over the years. And that that's, I, I guess not to take away from Punk here, but that was always the aside for me with Daniels. Daniels never got any heat because he was bouncing back and forth every five weeks. And, and and it was just it, it would crack me up because I know what some of those guys were making at TNA and yes Joe was making a full time living working for TNA but at the same time so and AJ Styles as well but at the same time the indies that they were working TNA was taking money from them to work those indies yep yep we had to pay TNA. They slash Bill Barons every time we booked a TNA guy, and it was not money that went towards the guys. No, it was money that went in their pocket for using those guys. So, so in essence, it was like take the cost. Just say we paid Joe, and I know this is way off track from talking about Punk, but say we paid Joe seven hundred dollars a show. Well, on top of that seven hundred dollars, we're really paying nine hundred dollars, and these aren't. A- Exact numbers. I'm just you know spitballing bullshit. It just to make an example. So now Joe actually costs you nine hundred dollars to book because of the fee you're paying Bill Barons or TNA or whoever the fuck got that money. Um, so yeah, the TNA guys were more expensive than their set than their than their booking fee because of shit like that. And it wasn't like TNA was taking that money that they were getting on on the top. And putting it toward the product or putting it toward their guys, they're pocketing it and still losing money. While Ring of Honor is struggling to get by month to month, and these <laughs> guys on the indies are struggling to get by month to month, or day to day in some cases, depending on who you were, it, it's it was a it was straight up offensive to me, and 
yes, I want to see Joe and AJ and Punk and Brian and Daniels and all these guys be those characters at WWE, but I think once Punk got the call-up and they made him into, as you've said, Karate Phil, um, maybe some of the bloom was off the rose about going there. But at the end of the day, for those guys, it's about having a, a financial living stability. And we, we have, as fans, have no right to say anything. Nope. Nope. <clears throat> and in 2005, the the independent landscape was a very, very different thing than it has been the last couple of years. Yes. There, there was you, – you only made money – if you were a top guy, the top guy, and even you weren't, you know, you weren't going to make money just working for Ring of Honor. No. Even were even being in Punk's case, our number one merch seller, head trainer for the school, you know, between him and Joe, essentially the figureheads of the company. Um, you still, you know, you know, you're still going, you're still making road trips to IWC to work for Norm Connors before you hop on a plane and fly to, you know, another town to work a show there and then go work for IWA and still in hope that Ian pays you in something that's not an IOU and then go back to Ring of Honor and do commentary for a show and then work a show and then run the school for three or four days. You know, you're, you're not... You're working your fucking ass off to make a living. Yeah. Um, and it, it, whereas, you know, you're still working your ass off to make a living now, but I, I, I get much more of the sense that there's more money be, to be made now than there was, you know, to, in 2005. Um, Way more money now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not even the same world. But back to, I guess, this match, you know, the Punk and Cabana relationship has been discussed, you know, to death. We know they started together, they trained together with Ace Steel and Danny Dominion. We know that they were good friends. We know that uh, they started in Ring of Honor together. They worked in IWA Mid-South. I think Cabana once told me they had almost 50 matches in IWA together. Wow. I think that was like a rough guess from him. Um, He was like uncle. He was like uncle Scotty. That's how I always kind of looked at Cabana. You know, (laughs) if punk was my dad and ace was my grandpa, uh, he was Cabana was uncle Scotty. It's just, and this, this, this whole night is for punk. Um, you know, nothing, there's no, no storyline here for this match. This is just too, you know, guys that were married to each other, basically mm-hmm. from day one, sending one of them off to the land of entertainment and sports, occasionally. And that, and that is the story, you know? That, that, that is the story you get out of this match. Um, you now you have them talking about it in commentary, Gabe joins in on the commentary booth, and you can even hear it in Gabe's voice, like, him being emotional as he's talking about the match. And that's in post-production, you know? So... Imagine the feels that were going on that night um, for for any of us who are you know close to him. I, I mean, you, you really see it in, at the end of the match, but like just to kind of put before the match even starts, it's like the entire crowd 
is singing along to punk's music. Mm-hmm. The entire crowd is singing along to punk's music. Like, fuck, that's a moment. That's a vibe. That's a feeling. That's an emotional connection. It's not something you and can that's recreate. The, no, and but and that's the thing. Like, that's the thing you get from independent wrestling, right there, man. Like that 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 bond that 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 you you don't get when you're sitting in you know the 400 level section at wrestlemania and you're watching it on the fucking big screen because everybody looks like ants or even if you're at a raw and every five minutes you're being interrupted with a commercial break you know that's that's the feeling you only get when you're in an indie show whether there's fucking 10 people there or you know a thousand people there the level of impact that CM Punk's legacy left in Ring of Honor is still felt to this day where fans will bang on the guardrails to the tune of his entrance music. I don't think we recorded it, but remember the one day when I had Nathan's whistle in my mouth and I'm just like mm-hmm. completely subconsciously whistling Punk's music. I do it at work. I do it at home. And Mary will be like, seriously? She'll be like, you're singing, you're doing Punk's music? Right now, I'm like, and I'll just be sitting there going, dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. yeah, completely. Um, the I mean, funny thing is, the funny thing is about its song. So when we first moved out here, um, and the four of us, me, Evan Stars, more, um, Anthony Franco, and Jesse Robinson moved in together. Uh, one of them had a comp CD of like everybody's music, Daniel's, Special K's, uh, some CZW. CZW. You know, Zandig song theme and like Punk's music was on there, the AFI song. But at that point in my Ring of Honor watching, I was still at the early introductions of Punk, so he hadn't turned to AFI's music yet. So this music, this song starts playing and they're just like busting my balls because I didn't know whose song it was. And I'm like, motherfuckers, I haven't even heard, I haven't seen him with this music yet in his entrance, so fuck you. It's one of the most iconic songs associated with the wrestler and to think about punk his legacy he's associated with the afi song the living color song and i i I don't think it would matter which one he came out to he would still get the same visceral thrill positivity emotional guttural reaction my first wrestling theme music was an AFI song as a little tribute in my head. Um, me and Davey used Lars Fredrickson's song at one point as an enemy. Davey Andrews, not Davey Richards. They used a Lars Fredrickson song as an entrance music at one point. Um, I did a trios match in Chikara a year or two after um, my tenure there uh, with Pelly and Bobby? No, 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 God, no. It was no. It was either. I'm trying to remember because I had one that was me, Alex, and Rhett, and one that was me, Pelly. Yeah, it was me, Pelly, and Rhett. Oh, this is an infamous one to, to talk about there in, in Chicago lore. But we used um, we used the Lars Fredrickson song there. And for me, like picking those songs was all just like a um, like a subconscious tribute to to punk. And even me doing my little my Minoru Suzuki phase with my haircuts was in essence like, oh, well, you don't have the balls to do it, so I'm going to. I mean, it 
it's and, and I guess we should provide some context because Lars Fredrickson is somebody that Punk is friends with, and our listeners may not know who that is. Um, Lars came to he was from the band Rancid, just the yes. you know, the, the Cliff Notes version. He was from Rancid and has his own band, Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards. And he was he's come to a few Ring of Honor shows. One in particular, I remember was um, Atlanta. The center center was center stage, and that's where I met him. Super nice dude. I saw him more than I saw Punk that night. <laughs> um, Punk, but, Punk, Punk and Brian were, were visiting that night. Allegedly. Yeah, Brian, allegedly. Had, Brian, Brian had no problem just wandering the halls and saying how everybody Punk hit a little more. Uh, but fuck, man, like, back to the song. Like, you, I mean, the whole crowd just singing it. And then when it turns into the other song and... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You watch, like, when the crowd shots like the reactions of everybody the emotions of everybody and i even remember saying that and i can't remember where i was i think i was behind the curtain before his entrance um and then once he walked out i migrated out and i, I know i i know i was standing by myself i don't remember if i was standing by the merch table or like by wayne and mary but I, I was on the other side of the curtain watching it and i even remember looking over at da- uh, davy andrews was sitting um on the bleachers away from him on the side, the side of the building, you know what I'm talking about? In mm-hmm. Frontier Fieldhouse, those bleachers on the side, because we weren't using the big ones yet. And just sitting by himself, and I'm like, holy shit, Davey's got tears, because Davey was always trying to be the tough guy. Uh, he's like fucking 20 years old and tried to, you know, carry himself like a vet already at 20 years old. But um, I remember watching Davey cry, and I was like, yeah, after the show, he's like, Fuck you! No, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. It's okay. I was too. We all were. Oh, I, I, I was, I was bawling, bawling. I, I told you, like I'm trying to watch this main, the main event at work last night, and as soon as fucking if I started, my eyes welled up, and I, I had to keep pausing it and walking away from the DVD player. I'm looking at you now. You're getting emotional thinking about it, and so yeah. am I. Like fuck, man. There was that strong of a bond, both from the fans and like those of us who had personal connections to the dude. Like watching it back, I, I you know, I haven't had. I mentioned it before, haven't had any contact with him since. The day they came into the Ring of Honor office to film those segments for the WWE DVD, but fuck, I just I felt the need after watching it. Like, man, just you know, sent on a tweet that just said, "Thank you, I miss you, boss." You know, punks kids for life, <laughs> sort of and thing. That's, that's the kind of thing. Like, he's just he's somebody that you know. I I, I look at it where you know you had a very day to day relationship with him, and I would only see him when I was at shows. And he was, he had a reputation as being kind of a jerk to people. <laughs> I kind of punk, punk. If you ever hear this, I, I I think you owe me one there because um, he was, but he he was never a dick to me ever. And of all the people that deserved to be a dick to at times, I probably was at the front of the line. 
Just go pull up his live journal if it's still available it's, on the internet. It's there's on. Some, and we're, I'm going to link it today. Uh, okay, there's some great fucking stories on there from his, his road trips and travels. Like the one about the cops and the eating your dog and <laughs> so many other shit on there. Like he he was he was such a unique person and somebody that was the way I grew up in this kind of protected suburbanite lifestyle he's not somebody I could have ever seen myself being friends with and anytime I was around him it was like we were just two wrestling fans having a conversation and we rarely would talk about wrestling which was always the interesting thing to me and that's that's something that fans out there I will highly recommend that if you ever socialize with a wrestler don't lead with pro wrestling as your topic of conversation like say hey great match or thank you or whatever but like if you want to have a real conversation with them don't talk wrestling wow so i'm getting a little it's thinking about thinking about his live journal like uh, there were just some amazing stories on there was one in particular he did um like a fan q a sort of thing like people sending questions he answered and um Somebody sent in one, like, is there anybody out there that you think is the future of, like, of wrestling? And um, his response was Davey Andrews and Shane Hagedorn. <laughs> and through the ups and downs I have had, um, I think I had this, I think the only person I've ever had this conversation with is Pelly. Um, through the ups and downs of my career, um, the ones that were, mm, I was responsible for and the ones that I had and the stuff I had no control over uh, my mind's always drifted back to that in the in, in my lower moments um, feeling like uh, I hope I didn't let my dad down sort of vibe you know but when I but when I saw him in whatever year it was 2011, whatever the whenever it was that they did that DVD, you know it was um he was he was standing on ringside filming the segments, you know that you ended up seeing on the the, the best in the world DVD, and uh, he sees me and I was just trying to stay out of the way and be quiet um, to not interrupt what was going on and uh, so when he gets done and I go out there and. Can I give him the nod? He just looks at me. He's like, "Holy fuck, you're still here!" Just gives me a big hug. Asks how I'm doing. Um, Nathan wasn't born yet, so no, some kid could be like, "Yeah, you know, I got a kid." He asked how Mary was, and um, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of that. Yeah, I'm closer. I'm closer to the end conversation you know for him and him asking me how I was doing and kind of telling him about all my broken parts as he told me about all his broken parts <laughs> and uh, it was a, a hat you know, even if that's the last time I ever see him um, which you know very probably will be um, it was a, a happy um a happy parting as opposed to me walking around with those thoughts of I hope I didn't let my dad down and I don't think it's going to be the last time I, I, I 
I don't think that's... It's hard to say where you're going in life and what, what you're going to do, you know, in a week or whatever. I mean, who knew, like, back in January we'd still be doing this eight months later. No shit. <laughs> you know? I mean, we, we, we're 20... I don't know, what is this, episode 20 I don't know. I, I lost track. I lost track of the fact that we've recorded like three episodes in a week. Yeah, it's, tr- it's true. This is episode I, 22 for us. It's, I messaged Con. I, I sent a message to Conrad Thompson's Twitter. I was like, I just did. We did three in a week, and my fucking head wants to explode. How do you do three? We did three in a week for three weeks. How do you do three in a week for the same week? <laughs> Fuck. And at one point, he was doing four in a week because he had the TV show version of this. Yeah. Which- yeah. You know, I mean, it's. I, I guess we want to. We do want to turn this into kind of a positive thing because. Well, that's right, what I was trying to put a spin on right there. You know, with. Uh, well, right now, you know, with I'm, my last my last meeting versus you know the live journal, the lingering live journal quote. Well, I'm on his live journal right now. It's cmpunk.livejournal.com. Go over there, give it some, some hits, but the subjects. For these live journals. The last post was November 13th of 2005. The subjects for these quotes is just, it's great. So, like, the last one was Kids and Heroes, and it was uh, on the date that Eddie Guerrero passed away. Oh, wow. He's the one who told us, too. Wow. Really? Yeah, we were, we were um, me, Davey Andrews, uh, the Dempseys and Pelly, or at least Derek, maybe not Bob, Derek. But when we were we were on a marathon drive from working FIP weekend to get back to the uh, the the Chikara show that was at the arena. And in route, we got a text. I can't remember if it was Dave. I think Davey got the text from Punk that just said Eddie died. Yeah, so we walked in with, <laughs> we walked into the arena with, and our heads of Eddie Guerrero died, and get greeted by Cheech and Claudia with, "So this is your last show," and that's a story for the Chikara bonus show if we get to 300 followers on Twitter, at an honorable pod. But I'll just read a couple of the the topics here. Uh, none listed. Fuck stick! Exclamation point. Um, I believe the word fuck stick was like his go to in conversations when he was describing somebody that he didn't really care for as at least in the ones that I had he would call them a fuck stick because of punk I learned the word gimmick and it's used for everything yes. in sight so, so the what, very first day he's talking about his fucking automatic opener for his car and he's like the gimmick the gimmick for the car the car gimmick like, what, fuck, what are you talking about I've been here for I've been wrestling for two days I don't know what the hell you're talking about Every, everything can be a gimmick it's an adjective yep. Um, some of these other things like uh, that he talks about um, how red is it and cobras, vampires, and a whole lot of moving on your feet this was in reference to a rocket from the crypt uh, farewell show uh, random acts of senselessness and the very first sentence is Elijah Burke says I say fuck a lot and I do <laughs> <laughs> he wants a shirt <laughs> And, and his second sentence is, I want a shirt that just says fuck you on it, and I want to wear it while walking through airports all day. 
God, if I would have known that, I would have given him my local eight shirt. Yeah. Because I have a local eight shirt that just said "fuck you" across the back. Um, it's just it's amazing, and I'm looking through some of these old photos. Um, I this one really kind of hits me close to home. This was from a week after the final show, and the there's a photo of of D uh, D being homicide, Joe and Punk. And it says, ROH is three kings. Don't you ever fucking forget it, ever. I've got everyone I need. And the next photo is Roderick Strong, Jimmy Rave, and CM Punk. And it says, future ROH kings. And then there's a Chicago group photo with uh, Dave Prezak, Adam Pierce, and Ace Steel. Uh, and then another one with uh, Chez, Punk, Cabana, and Dave Prezak. Um but then the one below it, so you get this emotional photo, and then there's one from Thursday, August 11th that says, Streets of New York, and this man is wanted by the FBI. And it's punk with next to a, I'm guessing a homeless man that has a cardboard sign that says, Why lie? I need a beer. And punk has his arm on this man's shoulder with this just look of disgust. That all of us who have been around punk are very familiar with. Um, I just, I, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, he's just such, such a unique individual and somebody that. I, I just, I don't know, man. I, um, wrestling is is so special because I've been around so many unique people and characters that you just don't find in the real world and punk is one of those guys like it sucks man i just as you talk about i don't i never took a picture i don't have one either yeah and i i, was, I always felt i don't know i wasn't like davis who had no problem just like asking everybody to take a picture with him uh, I, I don't do that in real life either. But like yeah, me neither. I take a lot of pictures of Nathan or Nathan and Mary or and every once in a while me and Nathan together. But um, yeah, I kind of regret that I never, I never took a picture together. Fuck. When, when he came to find. Oh my god! I have. Fuck. Yeah, I should have taken one. Just. He can watch. We watched WrestleMania 21 together at my house, eating fucking Pizza Hut pizza. Should have taken a picture of that day. Yeah, I mean that would have been good. We could have yeah. done that one up there on the website. And yeah. Who knows? Maybe CM Punk will be a guest on our show one day. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna work to make it happen. I'm gonna try. Um, I, I'm gonna reach out there and see if we can make that a part of. If we can get Davy Andrews, we can get CM Punk. I think we have a better chance of getting Vince McMahon on our podcast than Davey Andrews. <laughs> we know where Vince McMahon lives. Yeah, that's true. And where he works. Um, but just one last you know, snippet of the Punk Live Journal before we actually get to the match. Uh, a small letter to New Jersey is the topic of this uh, post from February 25th, 2004. Dear New Jersey, fuck off. Tenderly I remain. CM Punk. P.S. What was the date on that? Uh, February 25th, 2004. Okay. And it says, P.S. Hey, MapQuest, go fuck yourself. 
Like that—that's CM Punk, guys. If you've had a bad interaction with him, um, and if you're looking for the airport story from Baltimore, the date on that is January 18th, 2004, with Danger and the police dog and the police officer and so on and so forth. Uh, (laughs) I have to see if I can find the. uh... The, the 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 post that makes me cry as well, just so I can you know read it and cry some more. Yeah, we'll we'll link link this on the Facebook <laughs> page the day the day we uh, release this episode because I would encourage all the fans to go back and and just read some of this stuff. It's so silly. There's some some genuine stuff, um, and that's that's the word to describe CM Punk genuine. Yeah. Yep. Um, but the the match itself um, is. <laughs> Yeah, we have a match to talk they about. A, they have a match. They do stuff. It's funny, and then it's serious. Then they get a pinfall. And then there's another pinfall, and then there's another pinfall. And well, hey, Cabana I wins. I got to do a, li- a couple live reads before we get to the end of this match. Oh, so we do yeah. have to actually talk about some of the, the small details of the match. <laughs> um, like, who the fuck was that random dude sitting in the corner on the chair that even Cabana goes, "Who's that guy?" He had Alex Payne before he was even a student working one corner, Derek Dempsey working the other corner, and some random fucking dude in a chair. Well, you know who else was random at ringside was Samoa Joe, who sat at ringside the entire match, which was a nice little touch. I don't know if that was a Joe, I'm just going to do this and don't tell me not to. I think it was. I think it maybe it was. Because that was as emotional as I have ever seen Joe. Oh, post-match? Yeah. Well, appointment punk fuck punk on his entrance made me cry. So let, let's talk about that. So was he was he all all teared up and, and emotional before he walked through the curtain, or was this like it, it just hit him as he walked out? I I remember like emotion, and then it just kind of like really hit at that point. Like I'm going to keep it together, and he says it in the promo. You know, mm-hmm. the the for the show. I, I I will read the transcript of said promo word for word. He says, you know, about how it you know, hit him once the music started, you know. And uh, man, when he comes out, he's a fucking blubbering mess. And now that's what that that's where you see the the genuine emotion and connection he had to Ring of Honor because while there were emotional goodbyes from you know from Tyler and. I wasn't there for Kevin's goodbye and Generico's goodbye. Nobody knew was a goodbye except I don't know. I knew it was a goodbye, but I don't know how many people knew. Fans did not know it was a goodbye, you know. Uh, and uh, Brian's when, when Brian's was a, you know the, those were emotional goodbyes. But Punk is the only one who I ever remember like that, and that's because. His heart was on his fucking sleeve. Yeah. No bullshit. There was no. There was no bullshit. And I don't remember ever also seeing literally half of the locker room, especially those of us close to him and who had been around him a long time, so emotional and openly crying as I did at Punk's farewell. And that, yeah, I will say the same thing. I was not at Brian's farewell, which is a. a a whole nother story for a different day, but I imagine I probably would have been maybe not quite as emotional because I was a little bit more mature in, in terms of my situation, but here this was definitely like 
the peak of emotion for me. Um, the first show back after Sweeney passed away, I was a mess. Um, but this one was as soon as he walked through the curtain, it was it was game over for me. My eyes just started leaking. Um, but we get a, a 12 minute 41 second first fall. Um, the details of this match don't matter. Um, and it's not a knock on the match itself. It was a fun match. But it's about the emotions of, of CM Punk and the emotions of um, the situation. Uh, Punk it, would... It's like a great, some of it's like a greatest hit. Some of it's kind of playing up the relationship between Punk and Cabana. You see Punk actually bust out... <laughs> I don't remember if it's this fall or the second fall when he busts out his Kenta combination, including a Busaku knee. Like, there's, there's a. You can tell that this match, like, is pretty much just called in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Punk would scold Cabana for stomping on his foot. Then he would uh, hit him with a low blow and finish him with a Colt 45 at 1241. And. Punk was straight edge, of course, so uh, if you know somebody that is uh, struggling with drug or alcohol addiction, your private insurance provider may be able to help. Banyan Treatment Centers offers top-notch facilities and care at locations across the country. Give them a call to learn more. 1-800-508-0119. That's 1-800-508-0119. Our second fall would go four minutes or so. Uh, Cabana would, of course, get the win there uh, with a lariat. And the third fall, um, a lot of the greatest hits, of course. Punk calls for the, the Pepsi plunge before we get into the finish. Colt would counter with a Samoan drop. And uh, a Shining Wizard, Colt would hand. Uh, Colt's hand would fall on the bottom rope to break up the pin. Um, they would start reversing reversals after reversals, and Colt winds up on top for the win at 27 minutes, 49 seconds. And Punk and Cabana would hug. They would share some words of a personal nature, and the locker room would begin to empty. Uh, you were one of the first people out, which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, usually that's like the veterans go first, and you were you and Davey were two of the first people out. Fuck that. We were his kids. We were his first kids, you know. Um, and it's and it's no, you know, knock on anyone else in my first class. You know, at this point, Starsmore was in Florida. He, he, ironically enough, he actually came up for Death Before Dishonored three because um, uh, the motherfucker kayfabed us on, on, on what his was going to happen night. that day. Oh, man. So Jeff, <laughs> Jeff came up from Florida to go to the show with us. And, you know, I was so excited. Um, I, I was excited. I'll get into details about that when we covered it the first on three, but I was very excited because it was my first show not doing camera work. And we were all there together, and we end up watching the main event from the ble- like high up in the bleachers in that Morristown building. And afterwards, it's like, hey, Jeff even tweeted it. He stars even tweeted. It. He's like, I went to the wrong last show. 
And uh, so this was, I mean, obviously the second class was there, you know, Derek, Bobby, Pelly, Smash, Antonio Blanca. But as far as the first class, it was just me and Davey that day. And we were the two who had been with him the most. Davey lived super close proximity to Punk, so... Um, and I know I was I was there with him every day at the school, you know, whether he was there for training or for other shit. Um, you know, it was... Uh, it was We were the ones who were always there, you know. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's not a coincidence that Davey's tenure in Ring of Honor did not last that much longer after punk left either um no idea i'll never know because i never I, I never uh i never have to have that conversation um, maybe maybe we will one day maybe we'll. that's the goal um, but yeah I mean, that's how it was it was like this is my you know this is this was important you know there, there were there was those moments that were superseded any kind of um, story or character or any of that bullshit you know I, I, I technically I'm a fucking heel, you know. <laughs> Same thing with I, I did it when when uh, Brian and Nigel wrestled their like their their Iron Man match, their one hour, their two out of three falls match in St. Paul. Like, you know, not entirely sure where Brian was at after that match. It didn't matter that I was a heel. Me and Alex were, you know, in, in our way kind of uh, Brian's kids as well, and so we were out there, you know. Brian's farewell was out there, like. Those moments, there's those moments where none of that shit matters. This is one of those moments where the most important thing was saying goodbye. Um, goodbye and thank you. Goodbye and thank you. And <laughs> and getting my own personal little message after the DVD, after the DVD ends. In the, well, the DVD gonna, ends, but shit continues. We're going to get to that because I don't even know the content of said message. You've never told me. So um, we'll all find out together here on an honorable mention, but... Uh, there are a lot of luminaries in the ring. The whole roster, uh, Carrie Silkins in the ring. Um, I believe that's Cabana's parents uh, also in the ring. Uh, so they, they uh, of course, Cabana's mom gives Punk the the Jewish grandmother kiss, which I thought was hilarious. Um, I, I'm correct. That's Cabana's parents, right? I fuck now. I'm- Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. It had to have been. Yeah. Um, but Mama Cabana is, is giving uh, Punk the, the Jewish grandmother kiss, which I thought was hilarious. Um, Ace hands Punk the mic. Uh, Samoa Joe and Punk share a very long and, and emotional embrace. Joe is noticeably crying. Both guys are at this point. Um, you can see VJ all teared up, too. Yeah. Punk, Punk finally has the mic in his hands and he tells everyone to get up that everyone in ROH is a family and that everyone is equal. Cabana does a, a Pepsi shower uh, a la it would be champagne for most other people uh, and then drops a, gla- a champagne glass with Pepsi in it in the ring which you can't find that's a better Cabana. like that's Cabana like that's great and um Punk says that uh, uh, don't doesn't... forget don't forget Joe doing his uh, best Stone Cold impersonation with, yes. a, with a fucking Pepsi chugging a Pepsi of course yes uh, chugs the Pepsi and Punk Punk kind of says like he doesn't really ha- know what to say and then like people are going speech 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 so he gets the microphone and he and this is a direct 
word-for-word -word transcript of what he said. It sounds like this. I don't have no idea what it actually is. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna translate that into English. So, uh, because I I it took me about seven or eight watches to get the whole thing, but um, I got it. And this is word-for-word uh, -word what CM Punk said uh, to end the show. This whole week, every single day, I cried my eyes out and didn't think I'd have a tear left. Then I heard my music play, and I heard you people sing, and obviously you people saw it. This is pretty emotional for me. I love this place. This, to me, is like Gibson said last night, the best place I've ever wrestled in front of the best fans. I honestly don't have anything else left to say except thank you. This is like, this is one of, this is, this is the best day of my life. My last thank you. Thank you very much. And then he does the toast with the Pepsi and says, salute. At this point, Cabana and Punk toast the Pepsi champagne style. And I noticed that Ian Rotten is at ringside. <laughs> Yep. In a Dallas Cowboys jersey. Way to dress professional, you hillbilly white trash motherfucker. I can't remember. I think I can't, I'm trying to remember if Mickey was there, too. Um, Mickey Knuckles. Yes. Yeah. God, I was hoping we'd never have to mention her on this podcast. But thanks for ruining that dream, partner. Um, the crowd is chanting, thank you, punk, as loud as they've been all night. And Punk continues. I think at this point, Punk notices that Ian Rotten is at ringside and directly in front of him. Uh, because he was like, he had his back to the hard camera. So shame on him. Doesn't have an ass like Lacey. Shout out to one of our earlier episodes if you, you know the story behind that. Uh, Punk continues. Gabe Sapolsky, who Gabe is standing on the uh, entrance ramp. He says, Gabe Sapolsky, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. It has been a pleasure working for you these last three years. And he's standing... Gabe looks so uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, as anybody who has ever, like, that was not... Gabe was not... He wasn't the dude who wanted credit. No. No, he was not the guy who wanted people to get, like... He wasn't the guy going out there that the fans would pop for him because he went out there. Like, he went out there to pay his respects to Punk, and Punk wanted everybody to acknowledge, you know? Yep. He, he was not the guy who was like, look at me, I'm the booker, I did this shit, I created all this. Here's my you know, pencil! He was, he was much more like, I'm going to hide behind my I hate God binder and leave me the fuck alone. And please don't talk to me because, you know, just let me do my thing. And, you know, I those guys deserve the credit. They're the ones in the ring doing this shit. Like, you know, let, let them, let, let them... You know, they deserve the credit, not me. When we sort of mentality. When we do Gabe's book of ROH secrets, I will tell the story of the first time I met Gabe at an ROH show, and how uncomfortable the discussion was because it, <laughs> it's an epic. I've never told this story before, and I think the only two people that know this story are me and Gabe. If Gabe even remembers <laughs> it, so um, I'll tell that story because I have nothing left to lose, um, and I, I probably won't see Gabe again, but. Uh, he continues on. He says those three pricks standing next to Gabe, which was Homicide, Loki, and Jimmy Rave. Um, he says, I love you guys, too. All the while, D is flipping him off, grabbing his crotch. But smiling and laughing. And smiling and laughing. And if you know anything about D and Homicide, uh, D, Homicide and Punk, their relationship, what a perfect way to do it. 
And at this point, Punk gets kind of fired up, and he says, this is R-O-H. It's about respect, honor, and discipline. And what those three letters mean to me is family. This is my family. Say hello to the future of wrestling. And he slams the microphone down, and at this point, he bends the knee. The crowd is chanting, please don't go. Uh, Ace and Cabana pick up Punk and put him on their shoulders. The crowd is chanting CM Punk and the absolute classiest goodbye speech in ROH history, hands down. Uh, just a, a phenomenal moment. Um, you couldn't ask for anything anything more special, more unique. And uh, at this point, the DVD cuts off, which... I didn't remember. I thought it went on a little longer with the song playing in the background and, and Punk talking to everyone individually in the ring, but I guess maybe that was just hyperbole. Um, mm. But I guess um, if you heard of some of the things Punk said in the ring, I guess, afterwards... Um, nope. I didn't ask uh, anybody um, what he said. You know, that was... Uh, you know, I, I, you know, 13 years ago, that was a a personal message. You know, a, a little a, whatever he said to you know to Davey or Joe or Cabana, or that was a you know his personal message to each of those to each individual. So I never asked. You know, it wasn't wasn't my business um, to inquire. And I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure at some point over the years, I probably you know told a few people what was said to me that day, but I don't. I really can't think of anything, anyone off the top of my head. Um, you know, we're all standing in a circle and just kind of, you know, saying our our thank yous and goodbyes and whatnot. And um, uh, he gets he gets to me, he looks at me, and he's fucking sweaty as shit, covered in Pepsi, fucking gross. And um, smiles. I think you can see I'm smiling. Not thinking about it, but a big fucking smile. And just says, Hagedorn, my little prick, gives me a hug, and says in my ear, "Don't ever stop being a prick." And hey, motherfucker, I ain't never worked babyface in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I did for ACPW a couple times. It was awkward as shit, but um, it, it's, those, those words stuck with me and have stuck with me, you know, from since you know since that day. You know, it's uh, I just I, I remember the smile. I remember looking at me and just that smile on his face with fucking gross Pepsi-soaked hair. Hagedorn, my little prick, and it was purple too. Yeah, it was purple, and um, I just I, the, the 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 big the big hug. Never stop being a prick, and then uh, <clears throat> he continued to make his rounds. And you know, I think at some point there was some kissing of the Pepsi-soaked gross canvas that had been bled on by Ace and Loki and soaked in Pepsi, and. Um, Wishing uh, I, I could have uh, enjoyed whatever post-show festivities were, but um, somebody's got to break down the fucking ring and pack it up and take it back to Bristol. 
Well, I, I will tell you what the post-show festivities were. He did not come to Rosa's. Yeah. Uh, they went, he, Cabana, uh, Ace, I would assume whoever was, was there from Punk's family, they went to Wiener Circle. Yeah. Because I, I asked Cabana. They went to Wiener Circle, and I, I did not see Punk until many years later at uh, Final Battle 06 when Homicide won the belt. And mm-hmm. uh, the, <clears throat> the next morning at the airport. Yeah, which is a story we can save for another day. Um, yeah. Because yeah, that's it's... that's one of my favorite stories that I've ever experienced in, in uh, who Punk was with. I don't think we need to talk about in this episode. So, yeah. and there's there's that said there. There's a there's a ton of even just the time frame of when you dig of you know the 2005 leading up to this. There's just, there's so much to to unpack, um, even building up to this. Much less the the, the enjoyable moments that would happen after uh, just text while he was in OVW, and I think I mentioned one during Joe talking about Joe Kobashi in the Joe episode in the archives, like. Uh, when, when he showed up in Chicago during his first title run, um, well, Gabe, I think it would have been Gabe's last Chicago show. Uh, yeah, there's there's some some entertaining stuff that happened after the fact as well that uh, you know we'll, we'll definitely discuss when uh, applicable to um, the topic. Yeah, maybe uh, a, a month of CM Punk might be in order at some point down yeah. the road because I feel like Fuck. that's that's how long it would take us to. I know. But I'm hard pressed to think of any. Um, as I'm a uh, man, talk about a subject in which I'm so long-winded. I'm sitting here texting you saying, "Fuck, I gotta we get gotta, to my radio. I gotta get to my Radiohead concert. We need to wrap this shit up." Um, <laughs> well, well, I don't, I don't remember a single thing in the entire history of Ring of Honor in my tenure that was anywhere near as emotional as this day. Whether there was 50 people there or fucking 1,500. There's no other event in Ring of Honor that had as much emotion, um, both with the fans and me personally, as this night. I think, and I guess to kind of wrap this from my end, I don't think there was ever a night like this where the fans and the wrestlers were all completely in sync with one another like they were for the final 20 minutes of this DVD. Amen. How. Uh, we do want to do one last live read and then get into our uh, plugs and upcoming events. Uh, I guess we can call it that since this is the CM Punk show and he and Cabana are brothers from another mother's. Uh, optimal performance starts with sleep. That's why you need linebacker mattress. Linebacker mattresses are specifically designed and built for people with active lifestyles. If you put greater demand on your body, your body is going to demand a greater quality of sleep. Working alongside professional football players Bobby Wagner and Doug Baldwin, sleep study expert Dr. Gregory Jantz of Linebacker Mattress has created a complete line of mattresses to meet the needs of those who require more from their body. The entire line of mattresses offered by Linebacker Mattress is engineered to address the primary four points of mattress comfort, pressure relief, proper support, relief from excess heat, and relief from excess moisture. Linebacker Mattress is the only mattress foam that offers extra lumbar support, 2 plus inches of serene foam, STA cool gel, and the highest density memory foam available. Customers can buy with confidence knowing there's an 89 day rest test. If the mattress is not right for you, customers will receive a full refund including the shipping price. So shop linebackermattress.com today 
Linebacker Mattress, linebackermattress.com. Social media, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, at an honorable pod. Uh, you, of course, can also follow our Facebook. It's backslash an honorable pod. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at the Jeff Schwartz. Partner, where can we find you? Hagador and Shane on Instagram and Twitter. Um, also, Shane Hagador on Facebook, Shane Hagador on YouTube. And go check out the Honorable Mention YouTube as well with lots of good videos, especially this week as it relates to uh, this this event and including the much sought after Bobby Dempsey versus Smash Bradley pre-show match. Uh, that will be on YouTube in its entirety by the end of this week. Tremendous. Well, we are, of course, brought to you by the Creative Control Network. Go over and follow Joe Feeney, the head of the Creative Control Network, on Twitter at JFF, haha, double E, haha, N E Y 3 R D, and at the CC Network 1 for all the latest news and notes. Be sure to follow our head of audio, the scientist of sound, Zach Johnson, at the Radio ZT on Twitter. The show you're listening to now, Punk the Final Chapter, is being listened to on iTunes, SoundCloud, the Google Music Play Store, Amazon Echo, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and HipCast. Our upcoming schedule next week, August 21st, the Roderick Strong 2004 and 2005 Profile Show, August 28th, The Big Bang, featuring Shane Hagedorn managing the Kings of Wrestling, taking on the Briscoes, Davey Richards and Kenny King, Tyler Black versus Austin Aries versus Roderick Strong for the ROH title in an elimination match. And Blue Demon Jr. and Magno versus Mysterioso and Super Park in the main event. I'll allow you to roll your eyes at that main event. September 4th, brought to you by Alex Payne. We will be bringing to you Reborn Stage 1. Featuring Joe and Homicide, Brian Danielson and CM Punk, the Briscoes and Havana Pitbulls. September 11th, we will bring to you a poll. So the poll will go up uh, shortly before this uh, so that you'll get to vote. And uh, the four shows on the poll will be as follows. Fade to Black. and uh, End of an Age. Glory by Honor 3 and Unscripted 1. So those will be your four poll choices. Be sure to give a vote to the one that you want. I know which one I'm voting for. Uh, Partner, do you know which one you're voting for? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, September 18th, we have an HDNet show. And... We're not quite sure of what all the details that we're going to be discussing on that HDNet show, but we will let you know a little bit closer to the time. The very last week of September is planned out. September 25th, Kevin Steen, Hell Rising. The most controversial DVD compilation in the history of Ring of Honor. Coordinated, produced, put together by one... Shane Hagedorn. Guilty. Thanks, Judge Jeff Jones from ECW. <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting conversation about the actual filming of it, all of the the, the fallout from it, and 
the bullshit um, that was concocted um, by certain old men after the fact. Yeah, we're, we're looking forward to bringing you that one. Uh, I am especially looking forward to bringing to you that one. So that's our upcoming schedule through the end of September. Um, remember, our 250th follower on Twitter will be pol- uh, selecting a show in October. And we've got a couple other October shows lined up as well already. So we're very excited for the upcoming schedule, uh, bringing you all these great episodes, and um, look forward to sharing them with you, uh, our listeners. We appreciate all the support. And um, And it was just to to one of those listeners, um, my fellow first classmate, Matt Turner. I want to give him a little plug yes. for his uh, Calling It in the Power Ring podcast, uh, available through the Podcasts of Pennsylvania uh, network. I listen to it on Stitcher. It's probably available on other stuff as well. Calling It in the Power Ring, lots of wrestling conversation, comic book conversations, and um, let's go ahead and give him a, him, a, him a follow on Twitter as well as his partner, Andy Hedder. And uh, I think that just by the time this episode drops, it should be you know about four episodes deep into their history. So they've been doing a lot of G1 coverage in the first few episodes. So by this point, I think they'd be covering the, uh, the conclusion of the G1. Yeah, as we drop this on August the 14th, um, looking forward to uh, bringing this show to you guys uh, and all the shows that we're, we've got in the upcoming schedule. But uh, any final words on CM Punk before we wrap this thing up? Thanks, Dad. Well, to quote the great CM Punk, luck is for losers. And to quote the great Sauronaro, no need to trip out. It's time to dip out. Slap the porpoise. This one is over. We're out. See you next week.
Are you, a friend, or family member struggling with drug or alcohol addiction? Your private insurance provider may be able to help. Banyan Treatment Center offers top-notch facilities and care at locations across the country. Give them a call to learn more. 1-800-508-0119. That's 1-800-508-0119.